Funk, a Godzilla movie marathon where we're stomping through Godzilla's filmography. I'm Derek, and I've seen all the Godzilla movies. And I'm Doug, and I've seen a, a few, but I've, I've certainly seen this one. <laughs> <laughs> and it's our first real episode. So, of course, we're starting off with the OG, the original Godzilla, also known as Gojira, and at, at one point, Godzilla colon, the uncut Japanese original which is, I think, how you can find it on Pluto TV right now to differentiate it, to make sure that people don't accidentally watch the uh, the American cut. One thing that is it, that that I did not mention in our introduction episode that came uh-huh. out last week is uh, titles of movies is going to be kind of a conversation every week. Not so much for this, or not every week. It's going to be kind of a conversation for uh, every month because... Not so much with this one, but a lot of movies go by like multiple names depending on how it's translated because, yeah, because sometimes it's like a direct translation of the Japanese. Sometimes the international like releases will just change the name on a whim. Sometimes America will go by something different. Sometimes it's a different cut of it. So that'll be Hmm. something to look forward to every time um, because that does kind of affect (laughs) how to like how you might want to look up the movies. uh, Yeah. They all go by different names. Interesting. Yeah. That makes more sense the more I think about it. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. So, of course, the original Godzilla it was released in Japan on November 3rd, 1954, which has since become Godzilla Day. So, hey. November 3rd, we're going to be, it's coming up real soon. We'll be celebrating Godzilla's B-Day then. Uh, this movie was directed by Ishiro Honda and produced and co-created by Tomoyuki Tanaka, who we both talked about significantly in our introduction episode. So, if you have not listened to that, definitely go back and kind of hear about some of the uh, initial creation of Godzilla and how they were involved. Um, and also for this movie... Story by Shigeru Kayama, who wrote the treatment for this movie. I'll talk a little bit about his treatment and the differences from it, because uh, it's actually very fun. Um, the screenplay for this movie was uh, Takeo Murata and Ishiro Honda, who, of course, also directed it. Um, and just calling it out, because it's very important, the special effects were by Iji Tsuburaya, uh, who, again, we talked about him a lot last week because he is the inventor of suitmation and all the amazing uh, really cool effects you see in this movie yes but, yes so obviously <laughs> this is gonna be this could potentially be a very hefty hefty conversation I don't really know where this is all gonna yeah. go because uh, this this is you know this is honestly kind of an intimidating one <laughs> to start with because this this is probably this is obviously the movie that has been talked about ad nauseum for what 70 years now so um we we have plenty of places we can go but starting off doug Uh obviously our premise for this podcast is you haven't seen many godzilla movies but this is one that you believed you had seen before right i feel like this is the one that i would have watched in that aforementioned uh like environmental disasters uh, in horror movie or in horror and sci-fi movies class that I took. Cause like, why else would we have watched a different Godzilla movie than this one? Um, and the music was very familiar. Um, and there were certain things about it, like plot points or like pieces of it that were very familiar. Um, but there were also things that I didn't remember. So I, I, I feel okay saying that this is one that I had seen before, um, but it would have been once, and it would have been maybe fifteen years ago. Sure, in yeah. a four-hour-long so, class. 
<laughs> right. And and it's like that's a specific context that you're like watching a yeah. movie in. I mean, like, I guess not that different for a podcast because you're like using your brain for it. But like it is still different, like kind of being forced to watch it for a class and then having to like you're and Do you were looking at it through a very particular yeah and you're looking at it through a very particular lens and stuff yeah. so like watching it as a movie then to talk about it as a movie like that is still it's still a different lens through which to, to engage a movie with yeah you know it's actually really strange because basically what we would do in that class is focus almost entirely on the people and how they reacted to things not necessarily sure. the monster or the relationships that the people had to the situation so it, mm-hmm. you're right it is actually like a very very different context now that i think about it and i feel like a lot of the things that probably i didn't remember were the things that would have been sort of left to the side in a class like that like you know our sort of like main couple and their relation to the science and sort of you know all that kind of stuff yeah. That said, though, like it is it is interesting because that that gives you a, a particular perspective because you are coming you are coming at this movie already fully aware of how much it's, you know, imagery was meant to like emulate real world, you know, destruction and ev- devastating mm-hmm. events that actually happen and stuff like that. And I think that a thing that I find so interesting about this movie is that despite it having been talked about for so long and for being a part of culture for so long. And I think everyone generally knows like the original Godzilla movie is like serious and dark and it's an atomic, an atomic weapons allegory. People know that, but I think even all that said, people still are surprised when they watch it to realize just how, dark and bleak and melancholy and like sad that it is sure. you know like I, I i i i pitched this for my book club i think about a year ago um and i had a friend who watched it i think for the first time not too long ago and in both cases they were like surprised like i did not like i knew that the movie was like kind of dark but i didn't realize it was like like this you mm-hmm. know I, I i think people i think people still people will hear us say it is a heavy movie and I think don't realize like how harrowing it actually is Mm -hmm. until they watch it, which is just so fascinating to me given how, you know, how much of a piece of, of, of culture that it is, you know? Yeah. I think it's the difference between it, you know, people recognizing that a story can be a commentary versus like a story being at its core about the thing it is commenting on. You know, like yeah. this movie is is like you can, you simply cannot separate the context, the commentary, or the history from this movie in the way that right. sometimes you can watch a sci-fi or monster or horror movie and say like, oh, it seems like it was a metaphor. Like this really isn't <laughs> like a metaphor. No. Like it just this isn't a metaphor. This just is about what it's talking right. about. Right. Right. It's it's yeah. It's what's so interesting about it. I think like it is something that is like. Like it's very on the nose with what it's saying. Like you can't you can't miss right. it. Like that how political this movie is, and, and it's all in a way that like no other Godzilla movie afterwards is, is like this. Like this is kind I was of wondering. a piece with itself, you know. Yeah. I mean, and, and we'll explore it as we go through it. But I think part of it is sort of like one of the one of the reasons I they think that it has lasted so long as a franchise is because it just they they had to pivot in different directions right mm-hmm. and so you'll you get so many movies different times different kinds and even when they return to you know a darker more tragic kind of horror movie it's still not the same because this movie is like only 9 years removed from yeah. Hiroshima and Nagasaki you know um like that time is so specific 
to when it's being made mm-hmm. that no other no other movie can ever emulate exactly what it's doing just because of what everyone involved with the movie was actively going through right. still you know right I, it is it it can't be understated that this is within a decade of 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 those bombings and within a couple years of like US occupation of Japan yeah because that was the yeah. thing that I was wondering watching the movie. I was like, wait, how long did the U.S. occupy this place? Um, and this would have been a couple years after, theoretically, we left, which I think is yeah. an important detail as well. Yeah, yeah. And, and well, yeah, so actually there's there's two different directions that go on to that that are both the, 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 the sort of context for this movie before sure. we even really talk about the content of it, I feel like. Mm-hmm. So one, and I think the simpler conversation – uh, you mentioned the American occupation, and I think a whole reason that this movie is able to get made at all is because the American occupation is lifted, you know, uh, just before this movie comes yeah. out. During the American <laughs> occupation, like, um, during the American occupation, a lot, it, it wasn't dissimilar to a lot of what was happening with Hollywood as well, where there was just tons of, um, like, tons of rules. Uh, kind of put and restrictions put down on what filmmakers could make, right? So oh, like sure. nothing really cons- subversive or groundbreaking like could be made in, in Jap in the Japanese film industry while America was occupying, and especially nothing close to criticizing anything remotely American could be made <laughs> here. So I'm sorry, like, you want to talk about how we bombed you? <laughs> nope. <laughs> right. You want to talk about and the consequences so... of that and explore the 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 morality of that? No. <laughs> exactly. So like there's there's a period it's between 1945 and 1952 that that occupation is happening. So that's quite a while for like no really you know subversive movies to be made um it, despite having happened just after like a massive world war after these like horrific uh, bombings on on Japanese cities had mm-hmm. happened that like radically changed like the, their entire culture, like just changed the, the progression of history going forward forever. And they couldn't create art that was really reflecting that or like helping, yeah. helping them process that. Right. And so what ends up happening is that by the time that the American occupation ends and those restrictions are lifted, filmmakers are kind of able to just like unleash all of that subversive and dark material like on it. And so like yeah. in a way, like this movie ends up being, like sort of the filmmaker and and, and the audience too, being able to kind of like a delayed response to things that happened a little less than a decade earlier, Mm -hmm. finally being able to really process the actual feeling and what they were actually feeling in this post-war time, you know? And this is like, not at all like a, 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 a equal comparison or an equal type. Like this, the circumstances are just totally different, but as far as like the idea of, being able or not being able to make art in order to cope with something massively like and collectively traumatizing like imagine people not being able to do any of the the writing or art that was happening in real time during like pandemic lockdowns like imagine yeah. having to wait 9 years to process any of that externally or with anybody else like yeah it's just it's it's like a wild thing to think about because it was happening in real time and then this couldn't happen it like wasn't allowed to happen (laughs) right right yeah and and i think you also have this like context for like 
what was happening in America with like similar types of movies that they, there would also be, you know, we talked a little bit about like beast from 20 or yeah, beast from 20,000 fathoms uh-huh. last week in our introduction episode. Like that's a movie about a monster that's awakened by an atomic bomb. Pretty much any monster movie in America is similar to Godzilla, like a reaction to nuclear weapons, right? Because nuclear radiation is like this new thing that everyone is hyper aware of and no one knows what the consequences in the long term are really going to be. So a bunch of monster movies come out about them. But the thing with American monster movies is that like because of America's, you know, America's uh, responsibility, having, having <laughs> because of America having like won the world war. Yeah. Like all of those movies are very optimistic and it's just, and, and there's, there's no ambiguity. Like even the ambiguity that you had seen in King Kong, that shit's gone in all of those American monster movies. Cause it's like, Atomic weapons, <laughs> they created a monster, and they're evil, and guess what? The uh, exceptionalism of the American military and scientists stopped them in one because we're great, oh God. and that's it. Like, so that's not where it the stops. responsibility. <laughs> right. No, yeah, yeah. Just simply so, the heroism. <laughs> exactly. And and so, Gross. yeah, and, and, and I think, and I think like, I don't know that, that, that Godzilla was intentionally a reaction to that exactly. Well, but sure. I do think when you compare the two, it makes it clear like what was happening in America culturally and how Americans were responding to the war that had just happened and how Japan was responding to the war that had just happened, yeah. happened being on the side that lost, but more specifically having been just like kind of like have, have having had two cities just completely decimated. Yeah. Um, like horrifically. So in ways that have never been seen on the history of the planet before, you know, <laughs> horrifically. So in so, such a way that the whole world was just like, we no. Never, right. no, don't do that ever again. Right, <laughs> like yeah. really unfathomable. So, like, it, it that's the thing that makes it so fucking hard to like have the context for it because I keep thinking of like we, like we just don't we don't have a comparison. Like no I was one trying else to think does. Of, like no one does, and, and 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 I think that's what makes this movie feel so unique and and it's been so unreplicable ever since like as many movies have tried mm-hmm. to do something similar that was just it was really was just sort of like the the perfect fusion of all of these feelings that could only come from people who have just gone through something so specific to them that no one else in the history of the yeah. planet has gone through yeah 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 the other side of that kind of you know also related to it is that one of the things that you know really pl- prompts this kind of delayed delayed response to you know the, the nuclear weapons conversation is the lucky dragon disaster oh do you even know what this is have you ever even heard of this no i don't i don't think so it doesn't sound familiar it, it is it is it is so imperative to the creation of this movie so this uh it was in march of 54 the u.s performed a hydrogen bomb test in at the uh, bikini atoll near the marshall islands in the south pacific um i don't really know geography so i don't have like great context for exactly where that is sure but Either way, a Japanese fishing vessel, the Lucky Dragon Number no. Five, is the translated name. Uh, it got too close to the, to the blast, so its entire crew, all the fish they caught, were irradiated oh, with nuclear fallout. Um, and the problem was that that disaster did not get reported in the media for like two weeks. So by the time the men had arrived, have returned home, they returned home not really knowing exactly what had happened. Full on radiation sickness, and a lot of their catch had already been sent to the markets for public consumption. Oh, shit. Now, I th- my understanding is that, like, most of the fish did get like, recalled. So it wasn't like, it wasn't, it 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 could have been a worse national tragedy sure. than it was. Um, but the sort of, like, 
ridiculously close call and the fact that like some of the fish did get out into the public like this yeah. irradiated fish that was only irradiated because of like United States performing nuclear tests like that was alarming and kind of a wake up call and just reignited all of these fears of nuclear weapons that again they hadn't really been able to like process over the last nine years right. because the people who bombed them were occupying their country so mm-hmm. so that that idea is what really sparks it with with uh, with Tanaka specifically of being like this you know that that feels like something we can really like kind of hone in on um, for for this this monster movie we want to do sure um, and you know and that gets them to just delve fully into you know the idea of nuclear weapons and the the sort of unfathomable impact and the way that like the entire world has changed just by their invention yeah. 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 And I mean, like when you watch the movie, like the beginning, the uh, you know, it starts off with like fishing boats getting mm-hmm. down by Godzilla. It's it, one of the criticisms of the movie at the time was that people felt like it was too on the nose and too soon and kind of exploitative because of that. Hmm. Um, Interesting. Yeah. And and like, you know, which and, and I guess if you think about it, like people you were you mentioned like the pandemic anyone who was like yeah, making movies about that was the a pandemic, conversation just, people scoffed at them right i mean there's an entire generation of television that is going to be defined by whether the in-universe yeah. people like whether the pandemic happened in the universe of that tv show or not like mm-hmm. that is there's an entire several years and then forever moving forward affected by that exact conversation right Right. And I think like um, another thing that I was thinking of is like 9-11 as well. Right. Like, again, it's a very different, different scenario. But I think for being just like basic ass Americans, like probably the the a a, a big cultural moment in touchstone that was also a national tragedy. Like that's the closest comparison that we in our generation could have. And that's sort of the same thing, too. Or I think it's sort of like you can look back and there were so many fucking weird responses oh, yeah. to 9-11 um you know and 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 it's like I, and i think that like i don't think anyone could ever really fully agree on like what's appropriate what's not appropriate sure. what's too soon when's it too soon you know people are um, still having that I, conversation uh, right right so it totally makes sense that that would be a conversation with this movie and then you know and when you watch it like they they sugarcoat nothing which was yeah. also like very uh, um, it was that was a first for its time. Like it was, there was no other movie before this had really directly, like delved into this type, this like particular anti-nuclear message from a Japanese perspective before, so directly and like without sugarcoating anything, mm-hmm. you know. Um, which had to just like, for some people, I'm sure it was just like finally someone's talking about it, and for other people, it's just sort of like I can't believe they're talking about this. You know, was there from what you know, um, was there much of a like wh- as far as the filmmakers, like did they experience oh. firsthand that? Because I'm always fascinated by what I don't think happens really anymore, which is like the sort of violent and vehement reaction to filmmakers making controversial mm-hmm. films. Like people still make controversial films, but like they don't react the same way they did to the exorcist or cannibal Holocaust. You know what I mean? Or <laughs> right. I'm guessing by your reaction, Godzilla. Doug, I'm so glad you asked me that question because my very next little section of notes <laughs> uh, is uh, entitled filmmakers connections to tragedy. Sure. So yes. <laughs> um, so uh, Ishiro Honda, like I said, he's, you know, he's, he's the director of the movie, he co-wrote it. Um, a lot of, a lot of the movie's kind of anti-nuclear messaging really 
comes from him like really kind of hammering that in like elevating the original treatment to making it like no i want i want to truly dramatize like the devastating impact of atomic weapons and make the anti-nuclear message the heart of the movie like that really comes from him um so he was had been an assistant director at toho when he was drafted into the military in 1936 um so he was involved in the military. I think if I remember correctly, I think he was like a Buddhist. So like Mm. he was like, I think he was a very pacifist person and didn't really want to be involved with the military, but like, you know, he was drafted and he was, and I don't think he liked what he saw in 1945. He was captured as a prisoner of war by the Chinese military in world war two and was there until Japan surrendered. Japan of course only surrendered because of the bombings of Hiroshima and Mm -hmm. Nagasaki. So like he's freed from imprisonment only because of something utterly horrific that happened and on the way back uh home he passed through the ruins of hiroshima and like saw those oh firsthand. shit yeah and he's been open like in several interviews that witnessing war and like seeing that aftermath and like seeing like the ruins of that like destruction just has never left him and it informed a lot of his later work obviously godzilla but i think oh, a sure. lot of stuff that he's done forward just reflecting on that like and so that, you know, that that really is what led him on this movie to just being like, I want a physical representation of the horrific things I've experienced because I fucking hate war. Mm-hmm. And I think you even see it like this movie has kind of almost like a documentary style approach yeah. to it in some ways. Yeah. And, and I, you know, so I think he was just sort of like in the same way that a lot of war reporting is sort of meant to like be like you who aren't fighting in this war don't really see the horrors of it. So I'm going to show you what it really looks like. He kind of, I think was trying to do that in his own way, even in this like fictional movie. You yeah. Know? I can definitely see that even in just the way that certain like B roll is utilized and like certain, like mm-hmm. the tone of certain uh, scenes yep. and the juxtaposition of tones of certain scenes. I definitely, definitely can see where oh, some yeah. of that made its way in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and also Subaraya, you know, he did all the special effects on the movie. Um, he also, his, his family narrowly avoided a massive napalming of Tokyo oh my by uh, the God. Allied forces. Um, yeah, yeah. And then, and then, I think I talked about this in the last, in, in our introduction episode, but like there's a period where he got blacklisted during the American occupation yeah. uh, just because of how good his like Pearl Harbor recreations were. Apparently like they were like, so you've got to be a spy. Like these are like too good. You must be a spy. Oh. So you. But, but you know, luckily I think like everyone, everyone in the film industry and at Toho was like, spy or not, you're a fucking amazing <laughs> special <laughs> effects person. So we're going to kind of covertly hire you back and then, right. and, you know, and then, and then everything was fine for that. But, but yeah, I mean, all that's to say, like, I know though at least those two, but probably even more people hmm. involved in the movie, like had very well. real you know very i mean it just happened right like, like, was how, like less than a decade ago it, it, it feels like how could you not you know what i mean <laughs> right 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 yeah so you know so like all of that is just at the heart and core of this movie like like you were saying just completely completely inseparable from it you know and 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 i think that it makes this movie just so unique like i don't obviously plenty of movies exist that are reactions to war or reactions to historical events and or allegories or whatever. But I don't know that I've ever seen one like this that like finds such a specific fusion of real world things and fantastical things and like acknowledges both of them at the same time. Mm -hmm. You know, like the fact that I think that it would be one thing to watch a movie where they don't mention nuclear weapons at all. It is just Godzilla is a metaphor for nuclear weapons because he causes destruction. But the fact that 
they name drop like Hiroshima and Nagasaki. They talk directly about nuclear weapons. Like, it, like all everything that happened in our world has happened there too. It's just in this case, Godzilla also happens to exist in addition to that. And I think, and think acknowledging all of that and it being right there, I think should allow people to see that Godzilla itself like isn't the metaphor for nuclear war so much as it is the metaphor for the future with nuclear war as it's past. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, that's the consequences, right? It's the consequences. It is the, it is, it is the answer to the question. What if we keep moving forward this way, which is also asked directly in the movie, you know what I mean? So it's, yeah, it's cool. I'm really glad that, that, um, I mean, obviously, we're rewatching this with like a very specific purpose, but I'm glad I rewatched it because, again, the context for why I was watching it in the first place is like so different than why I'm watching it now, which is just the entirety of it, you know? Um, and this being the first one, it makes sense that this is going to recontextualize my entire understanding of Godzilla moving mm-hmm. forward, uh, which is really exciting. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm I'm so glad you say that because yeah, I mean, just saying like Godzilla is a metaphor for nuclear weapons, like that's like the log like, line not for really. it. Like it's not really, <laughs> yeah. It's, he, he, I mean, the thing is, represents like, something a little bit more abstract than that. <laughs> yeah, well, and I think too, I want to talk. One of the things I want to talk about in every in every episode of this podcast we do is like the version of Godzilla in each movie because sure. that can vary. And it's like, whether that's like the technical stuff, I want to talk about like the suit and everything, um, but also the character as well. And I think like, that's the thing is like more than being a metaphor for nuclear weapons, like the Godzilla, the character in this movie is a victim of nuclear weapons specifically, right? Like the, the dude was literally hit with an atomic bomb. Like mm-hmm. that's, and it destroyed his home just like what happens with, you know, in real life, it's just in this case, he was able to survive it. Um, but what they do with it, and I'm curious if this is something that like clocked with you at all, but like his design, like the sort of craggle, craggly grooves and things that he mm-hmm. has, it's not meant to look like scales. It's meant to emulate the keloid scars mm. of bodies of people who survive nuclear fallout essentially like the, the burns and things no not specifically like that didn't specifically like that is not um like it i don't know that i saw it and was like immediately hey that's what that is but what i did notice was that it was a much more craggly sort of roughed mm-hmm. up version and i didn't know yeah. whether to take that as like mm-hmm just the the consequence of it being roughed up in a general sense right like i don't know that i knew the literal representation it's like inspired by Um, but that makes sense because that that registered with me at least as a question like does it look this way because this is all they were capable of doing or does it look this way because they explicitly tell us that it has been disturbed and sort of inadvertently attacked you know yeah, yeah. No, it was very intentional. I mean, like, and you've seen Shin Godzilla, Shin Godzilla and, like, yeah. you know, he has, like, the red tint. That's because they basically went even harder on the scarring mm. to make it look more like burns, like, in, you know, like, actual, like, blood and stuff underneath it. Yeah. And this, so this, that was very intentional with this Godzilla. And, like, I don't know how much that necessarily, if you're just watching it for the first time, I don't know how much that necessarily comes across, like, until you really think about but i think that like once you have that bit of information i think it only like helps helps because like when you when you see this version of godzilla through the lens of he is a victim just like humans are of of atomic weapons i think like 
you can kind of recharacterize like everything that he's doing in the movie because it's just like he's just a dude that got hit by a bomb and lost his home and is just fucking wandering around Mm -hmm. and is too big for everything and he doesn't like he really he like he doesn't eat people he eats trains but he doesn't eat people like (laughs) and he doesn't start really like actually killing like like with seeming intention, like using his atomic breath until after he's already been shot out, shot at and like trapped with electrical pylons and stuff. Like, like it is a sympathetic creature in this movie, you know? Yeah. And that doesn't surprise me. Like, like, you know, not necessarily specific to this movie, but just that, that depictions of Godzilla would be at some point, whether in this one or future ones or scattered throughout sympathetic versions of the character. Um, Mm -hmm. What I find interesting when we talk about like the character of Godzilla is I am expecting that in future movies, Godzilla will be more of a focal character in sort of like the capital C character of the movie type of way than in this one, because in this one, yes, he's definitely a victim. Yes. Like definitely sympathetic when you think about it, but I do think this movie doesn't really challenge or direct you to focus on Godzilla as a character so much as, the the idea of like nuclear war has unleashed a monster and here is the literal fucking monster you know that has been yeah. unleashed you know um yeah. i'm guessing i think based on little bits and pieces i've seen that godzilla is more of a character in like both the focal way and the like what a character way uh, <laughs> than in this one you know sure yeah, I mean, yeah, I think it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, like this, the movie Godzilla isn't really about Godzilla as a as a as a character very much. Yeah. Like, and and I mean, and I think that like, it, yeah, and I think like it's it's interesting because one of the really common refrains about Godzilla movies, there's literally a TV tropes page for it that's like just here for Godzilla, and it's you know, this idea that it's sort of like, well, you know, Godzilla movies are fun, but I just watch them for the monsters and the human stuff is boring, um, which I think is like, honestly, not doesn't really apply to like the majority of Godzilla movies. Like most of them, I think the human stories actually are okay. interesting, unless the that's movies are really bad. Personally, because if you opinion. had asked me like predict, I would have been like, I bet you there are at least a bunch of them that are just for that. But I'm glad to hear that's not necessarily the case. Yeah. Yeah, in my opinion, I mean, I'm sure some people disagree with me, but like, I, I tend to, I, I feel like people treat it like every scene with a human is a total drag, and I'm like, I mean, if that's the case, then it's one of the bad movies. Like, <laughs> if it's a good Godzilla movie, the human stories are interesting yeah. too. Um, but, but I say that because I think that like this is one of those movies that it's sort of like the humans really truly are the focal point, and it's not yeah. like you're waiting for them, you're waiting for the boring human scenes to be over to get to the monster. Like Godzilla, I think is perfectly, perfectly paced in his appearances through this movie like he pops up at very particular moments and is there for the right amount of time like to you know to progress the story further and to for the characters to react to and take action one way or another um but the bulk of the movie is like a very human story about what what these different people these different people's relationships and how they're responding to godzilla's existence going forward yeah and it's i i'm glad you said all that because i don't disagree with any of it but at the same time i also was surprised at how quote quickly godzilla appeared in the movie because of my like my current modern day film sort of brain is sort of like 
I think, programmed to be like, oh, in the very first Godzilla movie, I bet you he doesn't show up until like 75% of the way in. Like, no, right. that's not how movies were. That's not how movies yeah. need to be. Like, Godzilla shows up maybe like 30 minutes into this movie, and the scenes are like, like they are just flying, oh, you know? This movie fucking moves. It yes. Mo- it's like, I think, here's the thing about this movie, is, and it almost feels weird to say, because this movie is, it's so harrowing, and yet, like, when I put it, like, whenever, I have seen it so many times, mm-hmm. and when I finish it, I'm like, I kind of want to just watch, throw it on and watch it again. Like, I can throw it on at any time, which is a movie, which is the thing that I usually only say, feel like, and say for movies that are fun, but, like, this movie isn't fun. It's very sad and very harrowing, but it's very watchable. Like, it is just yeah. perfectly edited um it's perfectly paced like it 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 like we said just it's just fucking moves and and i think it became clear to me for two reasons one the the american king of the monsters cut like there's plenty of criticisms people have for it but one thing one criticism that i have is that i think just by the scenes that they remove and then the scenes that they insert, it kind of throws off the balance that this movie has that I think is kind of perfect. And then, and and as soon as that balance is thrown off, suddenly like that American cut of the movie is just kind of slow and boring, Hmm. even with a lot of the same content in my opinion. Yeah. But also like I, 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 I watched uh, 20,000 beasts from 20,000 fathoms the other day. Um, cause I couldn't remember if I'd ever seen it before or not. Yeah. Um, and it felt like, you know, useful context to have for this. And I'm like, oh, I know why I don't remember if I've ever seen it before. It's because the majority of it's really, really boring. Unfortunately. <laughs> um, and that movie does kind of have the, like, just here for Godzilla thing because the, it, it is truly like that monster is barely in the movie until the very end. And the monster fucking rules. It's amazing. Best part of the movie. But the majority of that movie is just sort of like the human characters just being like, I think it exists and then trying to convince people that it exists and no one believing them for like 90 minutes and then the movie and then the monster appears at the end. And it's just like, it's, it's just sort of like, I, I do think that there is a careful chemistry you have to pull off to do a monster movie where the monster really isn't in it a lot. Um, and I think this movie just, just really just absolutely kills it. I think it's really nails it. I think it's, it's the easiest place for me to sort of, uh, make the claim that, that, monster movies inherently cross over with horror storytelling you know what i mean like not every monster movie feels like a horror movie in the way that it is not necessarily meant to be like scared like viscerally scary you know i wouldn't say that like this movie is very scary and very horrifying but i don't think it is meant to be presented in like a jump scare or make you walk away being like wow i was really scared during that one you know right but it still it, it does what a good horror movie does which is like ease you in and tease you with the monster without making it completely hidden. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it sounds like the 20,000, what is that one called? (laughs) Beast from 20,000 fathoms. Got it. I I keep wanting to say 20,000 leagues and I know that's not it, but the beast beast from 20,000. Yeah. Like it sounds like that does the sort of failure of horror movie thing, which is like, well, we don't want to show yeah. it too early when it's well, like, no, you can yeah. show it. You just have to sort of be smart about it. And this one is, yeah. right? Like there are some moments where Godzilla is not, they're not hiding Godzilla. Godzilla's right there on the screen, but it's just peeking up from the water. You know what I mean? Oh, or yeah. it's just oh, sort of like moving or it's just traveling. You like you don't have the, to hide like, you it. His- you just have to give us the taste when you just see his head pop up from behind the hills for yeah. the first time and then just roar, it's so good. Man. Yeah. Like it's like, like it almost kind of takes your breath, breath away for yeah. a second, you know? Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, and you're right. Like, there's a reason that I wanted to get this out in October. It's because like this move, this one is a horror movie. Like, yeah. it's I, I would art probably the only Godzilla movie that is just a legit horror movie, but it is a horror movie. Like, it I is would agree. Visually, it is very dark. It is. It really unsettles you for a lot of it. Um, and it's not a happy movie and does not have a happy ending. You know. No. And in just so many <laughs> ways, it's shot like a good horror movie. Oh, yes. Like if if God's yes. and I know it's not a slasher yes. movie, but if Godzilla is your slasher, they're fucking nailing those shots. You know, they're nailing the mm-hmm. killer shots. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Again, victim sympathetic, but yeah. still <laughs> in the way it's presented yeah, on you know screen. Horror movie, ho- yeah, horror movie slashers can be sympathetic and totally. still be scary killers too. You know, <laughs> there you go. Yeah, uh, God, I fucking love this movie so much. Let's talk about Godzilla's design. Just sure. like when we talk about every version of Spider-Man on our Spider-Man podcast, I think the different designs for Godzilla, because I'm so excited for you to see some of these fucking wild sure. swings for redesigns you do for Godzilla in some of these movies. Um, this is obviously the OG. Um, so a few things. There's like a different name for every suit, which is kind of fun. Um, this one's called the the Shodai suit is like the unofficial name for it. I think it's uh, named, I believe, after one of the designers for it if i'm if i'm remembering correctly but for this one just a few fun facts about sure. it because this i mean this was the first time they ever did it so two suits were actually made for it the first suit was way too heavy to perform <laughs> in um so they they did keep it but basically just like divided it at the waist so anytime you see close-ups of godzilla's legs like when it's stopping mm-hmm. Or, uh, or anything that's from the original suit because I think it had that extra heft to it. So it would look good for foot shots. You know, it would do great on, um, on wiki feet. And everything. <laughs> you beat me that. to it. <laughs> um, I saw the look on your face and I'm like, I'm going to get there first. <laughs> the suit that ended up being used still weighed like over 200 pounds. I think like 220 pounds is what it clocked in at. I'm not shocked. Yeah. Yeah. The suit actor was Haruo Nakajima, who would go on to portray Godzilla in every subsequent film through 1972, which is a lot of movies. Holy shit. Yeah. Um, the dude fucking loved it, despite how hard it seemed to be. <laughs> like you're wearing a fucking like two, 200, almost 250 pound suit. Apparently the temperature got up to like 140 degrees in there at certain points. Um, he couldn't, you know, he could only move at certain, at like to a certain amount. And he had to like move at like extra speed because what they did was film, Godzilla with a high speed camera to then slow it down in post mm. to make it look like the size was more immense, you know? Smart. Um, right. But that meant that he had to like fucking move. Yeah. Book it. Yeah. But like, I mean, uh, question. Yes. Since we're talking about the temperature of the suit. Yeah. I know that there is a lot of like fun, practical effect magic happening here. And the irony of us doing falling with style and then doing this one is I know way more about like, the the intricacies of of and behind the scenes of like computer animated special effects that people don't necessarily think about and know like not that much about these kinds of special effects you know Mm -hmm. so like was he okay there are some times where the fire i i can guess how they're doing it because it's such a, a spectacular thing but there are some moments where it literally looks like he's walking on a set where there is fire nearby are any of those shots real like, is he in this suit and also near fire? Probably so. I think for some of them. That's fucking wild. Like they, there are some <laughs> things where they definitely do do composite it. Like, obviously, you know, where they have, like, basically, they'll shoot right. They're like literally... people running and then literally cut, cut yeah. the film in half and then paste him on top Those of it. Those shots fucking amaze me. Yeah. It's, it, it, some of them, 
truly like you know there's some stuff where it like it looks like it's a movie made in 1954 but there are some where it's just sort of like this i like it it's un, it looks real like it looks fucking well, i would argue i would argue that none of the moments that it to me quote looked like a movie in 1954 were the ones that were composite shots like that i Anytime think so. godzilla was like composited against real people mm-hmm. for scale that all looked incredible looks and, and i think really part good. of it Part of it is really benefited by the fact that this is shot in black and white in a really dramatic way. Like if we're talking about the Godzilla suit, it's actually kind of hard for me because they do, you know, I don't know how much. No, I'm going to give it. I'm going to say it's all intentional. Like they could light movies just fine. But like so much of it is presented in a really dark way. Oh, yeah. That like and I didn't look I didn't seek out like you know, high res photos of the suit, if it even exists anymore, oh, yeah, or like look at like well lit photos of it. Like all I've seen so far is just what is presented to the movie. So um, like it's like as a character in the movie, as a presence in the movie, like it's really intimidating and really sort of like dark and scary because of the circumstances uh, and just the way things are lit. I mean, the fact that there yeah. are things on fire, but the electricity's out, you know, like they just, they really kind of like fuck with you in the way that this monster is is presented, and it's so cool. Yeah. Oh, there's like there's like... so it looks cool, but like I'm sure it looks even cooler, or co- I should say cool in a different way when you get to like really analyze it. But it it looks amazing on screen because of the way it's presented. It really does. Uh, there's like what the one shot when you just see Godzilla's silhouette amongst like the flames of the burning city. Mm-hmm. It's so fucking incredible. Like, and it's like it's yeah. devastating when you see it. But it's also like fucking sick as hell at the same time because it's just so it's so it's just so wild that they were able to pull it off. And it's so striking. Yeah. And I think as far as design goes, like I think now in 2023 or, you know, moving forward, whenever you watch this backwards, this movie, like a movie this old with practical effects regardless of how good they are, I think you run the risk of being like, I've seen so many things that now this looks goofy. That never happens in this movie. That's what's so wild about it. Like maybe fully lit. This is a quote, goofier Godzilla design. Cause I know some of them are kind of goofy. And I know I can kind of tell like it's a bigger eyed Godzilla, which I always do find a little bit funny. Cause I'm used to like, yeah, I think some of the like you know I've seen the '98 one and the 2014 one. Sure, you know, so like there's always a little (laughs) bit of cartoonishness uh, that I think could be goofy, except it's all just presented just so slickly that it never looks goofy. Yeah, it's really impressive. The lighting really helps this one a lot. I absolutely. I do think if you look up high res images of like the suit, it still like has a really fucking fucking cool looking suit. Like I think they just had a really good design. You said Shodai? Shodai, yeah. And I actually and I will go and correct myself. The Shodai, it comes it's actually simple. I think I'm thinking of another suit later. Like Shodai literally just means first generation in in Japanese. So it's the first Godzilla. Gotcha. Oh yeah, this is actually like a way less cartoonish suit than I kind of would have expected. Yeah. Well, and and there's and there's multiple there's another one another head that you see, that you see in the movie sometimes too cuz there's the suit that he wears and that's the one that you see the most that looks really fucking rad as hell. Um there's also mm-hmm. a hand puppet that they have. I think the I was yeah, wondering. Oh, yeah, and I don't I I'll be curious cuz I don't remember if it gets you if if they do that in Godzilla Raids again or not. Like I feel like this might be the only movie that utilizes like hand puppet stuff. It's like 
I don't know how to, it's a French word. I don't know how to pronounce it. Like Guignol, I think it's what it what it is. Guignol. No idea. But it's specifically that type of like French marionette you see in theater where they have like the giant head and like the little tiny arms. Like Oh, sure. Yeah. It's yeah. basically what that kind of hand puppet. Um huh. and like, yeah, so like and and that hand puppet does look like if you I feel like when you're watching it for the first time and you're just in the movie, I don't know if you'll necess- you would necessarily like really pick up on it, but like if you compare the two they look nothing like each other. They're like wildly. The sure. eyes are completely different from each other. The head shape sure. is totally different. And like there, and, and that's the times that it's sort of like, he does look a little bit like a Muppet when he's like chomping on stuff. Sometimes I still fucking love it. Cause I think it's like really, yeah. it still just looks really cool. I still stand by yeah. what I said, which is that the suit always looks fucking cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Also, I kept trying to see, they were so smart. I kept trying to see, because we watch Power Rangers, oh, we sure. watch other Tokusatsu things. We've seen plenty of suits. Yeah, I was trying to figure out quite where the actor's head was and what he was seeing through, and you really can't tell in the movie itself. Like I'm looking at a picture of the suit, and it's very obvious. Yeah, but you really can't tell when you're watching the movie. Yeah, th- and like you shouldn't. I mean, these are these are filmmakers, but mm-hmm. I was wondering, you know? Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I think they. I think. I, I, I wonder if like because they, you know, I, we all again, listen to our introduction episode from last week if you haven't yet. But like one of the things we talked about there is like the whole reason they invented the suitmation concept of a guy in a rubber suit was because like they wanted to do stop motion and it would just take too long. So I feel like they I have to imagine they were just like super I especially was sort of like if I'm going to do this. I have to fucking get it right. <laughs> and like, so I yeah. think that they were probably paying attention to every possible detail to sort of like, we need to make sure that people don't see where the guy is seeing, seeing out of. So if we right. can't physically cover that, then we've got to make yeah. sure it's lit in a way. We've got to relight the covered. set. Right. <laughs> right. So I think that they were probably very hypersensitive of making sure that things always looked as good as they could, you know? Yeah. Also just tonally, you want to make sure that you don't see that shit. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, the acting wise, the only other thing that I have for um for Nakajima is like the when he was deciding how to act as Godzilla. I think this is so fucking cool. Like he was observing animals, especially like an Indian elephant that I think was at like a a zoo or park in Tokyo, hmm. and was sort of like focusing on exactly how an elephant would move with like a lot of heft and specifically the way that like each mm-hmm. foot would come to a complete rest on the ground before it moved again, which instantly like projects this idea of like strength and sort of an illusion yeah. of size because like you have to have heft heft when you press that foot all the way down before you, because i mean i imagine like if you you need that stability baby to well like, yeah. before you can get that next foot up <laughs> and i think like probably if you watch like how humans walk like our our feet are you know getting preparing to move up as soon yeah. as the other one hits the ground, right? So I think it makes a lot of sense. And I think he also paid a lot of attention to the arm motions of bears and the head movements of birds, <laughs> which is fun. Interesting. And combine all those. And I think there's something too, I didn't have, I don't think I have it in my notes, but like the way his arms like aren't, like he kind of made it a point to like not really extend his arms very much. Like sure. I, he probably had a hard time doing it anyway. I think he like literally- I was going to say, even, could he even? Right. So maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe it was just like couldn't even, but I think like, like, I think a thing to look out for in future Godzilla movies when he does become, you know, more animated and stuff is like moving more like a person versus this one where like his arms are, I mean, probably more like a T-Rex's arms, like always a yeah. little bit cl- keeping close to his chest the whole time. 
that's kind of like my image of Godzilla. So I'll be curious to see ones that become more mobile. You mm-hmm. know, like I know the exception to the ones I've seen is the American, the ni- the ninety eight American movie, which is just a completely different creature. Yeah. But like my general image of of Godzilla is a more dinosaur T Rex like proportioned one that's just like real chubby yeah last couple of things before we can like talk about some of the movie plot and stuff just about godzilla specifically um i just like this quote from yashiro honda that he has that i think is like Mm -hmm. so good it's very simple but uh it just says uh, monsters are born too tall too strong too heavy (laughs) that is their tragedy I find that so beautiful. <laughs> I feel like I've seen that somewhere before. I'm sh- I'm Maybe you've tweeted sure, it. Probably so. It's just, yeah, it's, I, mean, I think it's a really good like ethos for how he as a director was a, and, and storyteller was really like approaching Godzilla as, as this character that it's sort of like, I mean, we talked about it already, but like he is a victim yeah. himself. He is meant to be a tragic character. But what do you think of his uh, atomic breath? The fact it's like first, first time we you see his atomic funny? breath. It's funny because I know he can do that. And I, for some reason, just like wasn't expecting it. I don't know if I, if I, like not consciously, right? Yeah. It's not like I went into the movie being like, oh, I bet you we won't see it this time around. But when it happened, I was like, oh shit, that's right. Like he can do that. Like I was really yeah. excited. Um, what they, a- they, you know, they hold off long enough, I guess, for, for you to be like sucked in and sort of forget. Um, and then when you do finally see it, it's really effective and like not overdone. Like it really is presented as like, breath that melts as opposed to like i breathe fire yeah yeah i mean it, it's like if you didn't know that godzilla had atomic breath it would come out of fucking nowhere and i think about how like horrifying that must have been if you're in theaters when it's first coming out not really knowing what you're getting into yeah and you're seeing the scary ass monster who's already caused all this destruction and like already doesn't seem like it can be stopped and then it just like ups yes. the ante by suddenly yes. melting things by breathing on them this this is honestly, I feel like, the most effective thing you can do with a giant monster or even just an intimidatingly large monster. It doesn't even have to be kaiju category, right? It could literally just be, you know, uh, you know, like a, a large alien that's unfamiliar to you. Revealing at some point that it can just do something yeah. that you're like, I already was fucked. I was already yes. fucked. And it has another head or it breathes <laughs> fire or also poison barbs. Like there's just there's something that's always effective about that. You know, yeah. Yeah. if you hold off long enough to let people already be scared, you know, like yeah. it's just it really like that's the despair moment where you're like, oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah, and they don't overdo it. Like, he really he uses it a couple of times, but he only mm-hmm. needs to because it's enough to set the whole f- fucking city on fire. Like, yeah. that makes it God. scary enough, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it really is like a, a sort of, like, hopeless sort of scenario when that happens because you just, yeah, it sets the whole city on fire and he was already destroying the city, you know? Yeah. Like, now we can't even really run or hide. Right, like- <laughs> right. Yeah. Oh God. It's so, it's, it's such a, it's such a smart choice. And I think, you know, it also just yeah. differentiates him from just being their version of a dinosaur too. Cause like that's, yeah. that is his superpower, you know, in addition to being indestructible, yeah. I guess. You know what about it did surprise me mm-hmm. was that his, I, I wasn't expecting actively not expecting his spines in this movie or whatever. I don't know if there's an official term. I for think those. they're just called spines. Yeah. Um, I wasn't expecting his spines to glow in this in the way that I'd seen that happen in other ones. I assumed that had been added later with with advances in special effects. Um, but no, like that I, I was 
pleasantly surprised to see it here. It looks uh, cool. and like notably so. <laughs> yeah, like I don't know, I don't know exactly how they do that in 1954. Like if it's like a rotoscope thing, or like an underlighting kind of thing. Um, but either way, like it looks cool as hell because it's like it's kind of subtle too because you know because because this movie is so visually dark. Like it is just sort of like you just see the sort of glowing outline around his spines right before he it's subtle but you can't miss it sure like yeah it's you know what i mean yeah like it's a it's it's extremely effective and and sort of it's like it is part of the sort of like uh you know not necessarily guttural atomic breath (laughs) and maybe some other versions Uh maybe one of the ones that i've seen before (laughs) um but it still adds to the sort of full body experience of him using his atomic breath yeah right right yeah yeah, cool shit. You mentioned the music earlier and that feeling memorable. Yeah. Um, the music, uh, Akira Ifukube, he is a fucking cool ass dude. Um, and he's an amazing composer. He does end up like he will pop up a lot. He ends like he doesn't compose every Godzilla movie, obviously, but he sort of does like off and on movies up through 95. So mm. we're oh, going to. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Damn. What I find so that dude was working on Godzilla music for fifty years, uh, forty years. Uh-huh. Oh yeah. Oh my god. Oh, and when you see what his last movie is and his like last piece of music for it, oh my god. <laughs> He's I I mean probably probably one of if not my favorite composer. And the thing is like, what I find really interesting about Godzilla in its relationship with music is like much of the music that you hear in this mu- in this movie you're gonna hear over and over again across multiple movies, ah, multiple okay. continuities, and even in like American, like the the Monsterverse uses some of these pieces of music sometimes. Oh, fascinating. Okay. Which, and it feels like, I don't feel like that ever gets done, right? Because like, you think like iconic scores where there are like multiple iterations of characters, like Superman, the John Williams Superman score is so iconic, so linked to him, but like when there are new Superman movies, like Man of Steel isn't using the John Williams score. Superman TV shows aren't using the, 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 the John Williams score, but yeah, with Godzilla, like multiple Godzilla cartoons and like anime and other movies are using that 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 a lot of pieces of like the Godzilla theme they is used in so the, many movies. Yeah, the only things I can think of off the top of my head, like very definitively, is like Star Wars has kept pieces of that score and reworked pieces of that. Like, but, there are themes that will continue to sort of happen, and like Halloween, obviously. <laughs> but well, I guess Halloween makes sense because even is, is a good comparison because there's been multiple Halloween continuities and reboots, and still yeah. do. I think oh, that, that's, that's a good. A good one. I see what you're but saying. But Star Wars, yeah. it's always in the same universe. Like Godzilla re- has rebooted yeah. multiple times and has plenty of parallel timelines and stuff. Like the sure. night. And the 98 movie is really the only time which is sort of like, what if we just didn't use any of that music? Like gotcha. for, to one extent to another, there's some motif or reference to, you know, to a Godzilla movie that existed. Mm. Usually this one specifically, like there's like multiple. Gotcha. So then, yeah. yeah. Halloween is the better example. I thought that was the weaker example, but it is the better example. Cause even in like the Rob Zombie ones, right. um, you're still getting, Halloween music, if I'm remembering correctly. Yeah. And the idea that this was like, you know, over 70 years that they're still using like yeah that music. So like uh, the things that you'll hear the most, like the Godzilla. Okay. This is actually interesting. So like what becomes Godzilla's theme song, like the Godzilla March is like what it becomes to be known as. That's the music that you hear 
when the credits start rolling at the very beginning of the movie, they're like, dun, 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 dun. You'll hear a piece of that in our podcast theme song. Hey. That was originally intended as like the military march. Like that wasn't intended to be Godzilla's theme. But I think because it's the opening sequence of the Godzilla movie uses that song, people associate with that with them. And also like it's kind of a heroic piece of music. So then when you see like good Godzillas and hero Godzillas in the future, that heroic piece of music kind of works mm-hmm. for him later on. So that kind of becomes his theme, but there's also like that sort of like really um, dark, uh, the dark theme that's playing when Godzilla first comes to shore um, on Tokyo for the first time. There's like a really like dark, like dun, 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 dun kind of song. Like you're yeah. that gets, that gets replayed in many, many, many movies. And then the music, the piece of music that's played when he like, turns into bones at the end of the movie like that that you also (laughs) will hear we will talk about that um we'll you also hear that in like many movies so like there's multiple multiple themes that you hear from this and it's just so funny like when you watch through all of them and then go back to this one it's just sort of like i recognize that piece of music recognize that piece of music recognize that piece of music Mm -hmm. and like it's just so fucking cool um and you know it, it gets tweaked and stuff in the future but like the idea that like these pieces of this these songs were like so perfect when they were created in the first place that they yeah. could just be using at you know ad nauseum it's just i i love that it's so cool yeah it's great yeah this is just a fun fact because i just think it's really interesting um eva Kube, he's such a funny guy because i feel like his whole relationship with music is like he just he for some reason really just did not want to be a full-time composer but he was just too good <laughs> at it and the universe would not have let him do anything else like <laughs> like he like would like win a bunch of awards when he was like growing up for his music but he was sort of like I kind of want to study forestry and went to school for that and like got to school like uh I got a job like in forestry and be like I'll just like make music on the side and like that music on the side kept winning awards and getting him noticed and stuff and then eventually Imagine. and eventually he like actually got like an injury with his forestry forestry job that like to the point where he wouldn't be able to do that job anymore so it was Mm. literally universe being like dude come the fuck on like stop with this bullshit make the goddamn music that's what you're good at so everyone wants you to do yeah damn dude yeah so by the time he ended up working on godzilla he like was already had already become a really renowned composer like and people even i think when when he was approached to do the score for this movie like his you know, other people are sort of like, dude, don't do a fucking monster movie. Like, don't like, you're too good for that. And he was just like, no, I'm going to try it out. And I think he's like, perfect then. Yeah. And I, (laughs) maybe I won't win awards for this one. (laughs) (laughs) I wish, I wish I were accidentally an artistic genius. Quote, like actively sabotage my career and accidentally succeed at that too. (laughs) Uh, It's so funny. Um, but I think that that's one reason why, like, you know, like if you, if you watch other monster movies that kind of come out around this time, mm-hmm. there is something about like, you know, action movie kinds of scores that this movie does not have. Like th- there's a lot of gravitas to like all the music in this movie. Like yeah. it's very, it's very orchestral. Um, I think that like some of the stuff that, uh, that, uh, Ifakube had done was like, be like stuff that would be used for military marches. Um, like there's like, like a famous story where um, one of his marches was used by General Douglas MacArthur when he came to Japan to formalize the Japanese surrender, which, like, 
Okay. That's weird, but okay. Um, that couldn't have been a fun experience <laughs> to have to hear your music in that context. Um, but yeah. like, if you think about like military marches and then like what you hear in this music in this movie, like I think yeah. there is a, a you can sort of see the through line there. Um, and I do think that like that's a really important part too, because suddenly I think I think that this movie would be very different if everything was the same except for the score. And the score was just a little bit more actiony and, and was less somber. I think that would radically change the entire tone of the movie, and I don't think the yeah. chemistry of what makes the movie work would would exist. Well, I think it would have been an element that was overdone, and I feel like one of the things I've praised a couple times so far is that they practiced restraint on a lot of things that I feel like lesser filmmakers might not have. Yeah. Um, like they don't overdo their special effects; they use them correctly. They don't overdo you know, the presence of Godzilla, they sort of allow him to be there exactly as much as he needs to be. They don't overdo the music. It is like present when it needs to be and only to the degree that it needs to be. So it like hits exactly right, you know? And you mentioned that like this movie almost has a a, a documentary feel to it. Mm -hmm. I feel like if you overdid the music, a lot of that would sort of be lost. And I feel like some of that military music only, only supports some of those scenes that sort of feel right out of reality you know yeah um so if you replace that with something something else it just would have taken i don't know it would have felt more like a, a fictional space that's a, i i love that i think that's a really good point yeah yeah absolutely he also did the sound effects which I, this is something that i didn't really know is that like you know in hollywood it's always been really common for like the composers of music and sound effects people to be two different departments. And that wasn't really the case. I would expect that. That wasn't really the case in Japan. Like it was like, if you do Hmm. the music, you do everything. So he did sound effects too. So he created the Screonk. He created Godzilla's roar. Yeah. Tell me about it. What is it? What is it? It's really simple. It's like he created it by taking, uh, uh, let's see if this makes sense. A resin coated glove, rubbing it Uh along loosened strings of a contrabass and then slowing that sound down in post-production. Wow. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I pictured it. Yeah. Yeah. That's fascinating. It's wild. Holy crap. Like, how do you even come up with that? Because if you, like, we're so used to- Foley artists just amaze me. Yeah. Because it's like the shit that you watch them do, you're like, how is that a meatball falling on the floor? (laughs) And it's like- you know, like, a, I don't know. It's just, it's wild. Well, it's just, I don't know. And this doesn't, like, it doesn't sound like anything. Like, I guess the close, like, I, I guess the closest comparison that I can make is like, it's like a variation of like an elephant trumpet, I guess. The, I, it, the closest thing I can think it resembles is an elephant. And, it, and, and I don't know really any other like thing that. that sounds even close. No, I mean, you can tell it's not an elephant, but if you had to compare it to something, it's the only thing I could think of. Yeah. You know? And what's funny too is it's just so weird. Yeah. Cool and unsettling. It's very unsettling. And it's like, and I think like knowing how that sound was made, I I think for one, because it's such a fucking weird thing is like a resin coated glove. Like what the hell are you talking about? Like, but I think like knowing how it was made doesn't make the sound feel any less like it doesn't lose the power even like you know sometimes like when you know how the sausage was made like suddenly yeah. it, you, you know it's not as magical i think you can't unhear what you now know that thing is right i but don't this is like so foreign and wild that it's like yeah i don't think it's the case this time because I'm, I'm never yeah i can never i will never be able to hear godzilla's roar and hear the screonk and 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 like my first my first thought will always be godzilla not 
the image of someone rubbing a glove against a glove against strings. Like I can't, like I yeah. can't, I still can't like, it doesn't make <laughs> sense in my head that that's the sound that's created from that. You know, like it still can't. Well, put those I'll say this, together. like I, I got it when you said it, it made sense to me when you said it, but I do think it is a unique enough sound and an iconic enough sound yeah. that like, it's I'm I'm not going to be able to separate it from Godzilla, even if I know how the sausage is made in the same way that like, you know, once you know that certain horse sounds are made by like <laughs> coconuts, like you're sort of like, oh, I, I can't yes. stop picturing coconuts. You Absolutely, know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah. I, I'm not going to have the image of how how that sound is made, even if I know it and it makes sense to me. Yeah. Yeah. It's just what a. Again, what a fucking wild and like reptiles like don't even roar. Like I guess like like dinosaurs no. do. So that's probably you know that's where the idea comes. Did from. they? Do we even know? But we that? don't even know that. Yeah, it's true. We don't even we don't know that. But but people probably people thought they did. You know. Um, sure. But even then, but it's like the fact that they didn't opt for just like whatever dinosaurs in other movies sound replacing like. it like, with like a lion's roar, right? Or distorting it or something. Right. Like they really were sort of like we have to make something that you have never heard before in your life and like. Yeah. Just, yeah. I, I, so many, like, just stellar decisions on this movie. <laughs> <laughs> Look, they were just sitting on this for so long. <laughs> I don't know if they were specifically sitting on this, but, like, the feeling of it, you know, and, yeah. and sort of the artistic urge, I'm sure they were sitting on for right. a long time. <laughs> so... Let's talk about like I mean we've talked about like we've talked about the real star but let's talk about like the actually you know the human stars of the movie uh, all the other I mean the, the, literally like the actual plot and like all the everything else that happens yeah I think there are human stars in here for sure absolutely you know yeah and 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 having only you know effectively for this podcast having only seen this one I do really like I can't stress like I know Godzilla is the title character and like the star of the franchise but like. The humans really are the main characters of this. And I think yes. not uncompelling ones. Like they are interesting characters and characters I wanted to know more about and like felt for more than I did Godzilla, knowing that in the future I will feel more for Godzilla probably than I do for human characters. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Yeah. Who do you want to start with? Everybody's got a, got a nice little story in this movie. Um, I feel like, I mean, I know who I want to start with, but I feel like we should start with uh, Ogata and Emiko, the sort of couple I already referenced. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I. It's what's funny is that this movie has a lot of love triangle. And, and, you know, sometimes love triangles are like, uh, this love triangle does kind of work for me. Um, I think for a couple of reasons. For one, because you meet Emiko and Ogata like early in the movie and it's honestly like kind of a weird twist, like pretty deep into it that there's actually a love triangle and they're not just like the main romantic pair that you want to get together. You know, like they throw in a wrench, like kind of like midway through the movie that it's sort of like, yeah, she's oh, she's actually engaged to somebody else, by the way. Yeah, to the point where I was like, <laughs> did I hear that right? right? Like, did I catch that correctly? Yeah, it's pretty um, wild. Actually. It's a really subtle love triangle um and i think it makes sense i think for what this movie is the fact that this is all these characters and journeys are all against the backdrop of godzilla arriving <laughs> and attacking the city yeah. you know obviously there's more to it than that but like simplified all their all their life events and where they are in time is all against that backdrop i think it makes sense that they're not 
you know, overdoing the love triangle thing. I think given the circumstances, mm-hmm. it would be weird if they were overdoing the love triangle thing. Sure. It just, it just, I think it helps to, it helps to um, inform the characters and how they relate to each other. And it would be very weird if Emiko had taken the exact same actions with the third member of that triangle had she not been engaged to him. Like, oh, I yeah. think that door needed to be opened in that way for her to interact with that third member. Um, and so it all makes sense. Yeah. That's um, a, but it's not, it, it is surprisingly subtle given how much sense it makes. That is a good point, though. Cause it, yeah, cause I think that it's not like it's a shoehorn in romance. Like, she, like, the thing that I think so is so interesting about this movie is that, like, despite many, you know, dudes being in on the action, like, uh, Emiko is kind of like, the protagonist in the sense that she really is the one that is the connective tissue between every main character and is kind of driving these plot points. And the only reason that anything happens in this movie with the people is because like she is connecting these people together and like relaying one bit of information from one person to the other. And that only happens because she is the daughter of this, of the main scientist and in between this love triangle between these two dudes that are also involved in the action. Right. She really is the dramatic core, like in the most sort of, of like literal way not the you know none of these characters are particularly dramatic they're all like everything is very sort of subtle and melancholy as as would be appropriate but um like yeah she's such a key ingredient here it would like all the all the relationships are like perfectly sort of woven together for for things to happen the way that they do yeah. This third member, though, is who I want to talk about. So as long as we're talking about the triangle, Sarizawa, uh, oh, Sarizawa, yeah. what a guy! Is just <laughs> what a guy! I and you know what I love? Yeah, I love an eye patch when an old movie, especially. <laughs> well, well, yeah. I mean, I, I am I am ambivalent on eye patches. I don't care either way about eye patches. But what okay. I love, what I love, especially in an old movie, is if you introduce a character with an eye patch, and that person is like good and rules because like it's such an easy visual cue to be like this character has an eye patch so there's something mysterious and dark about them <laughs> and they're probably a bad guy or lady you know what i mean like <laughs> right. th- they present him in a way that's sort of like yeah he's a little bit dark and he's a little bit mysterious but like ultimately he seems like a really good dude and is like sort of like crushed by the weight of what he's created and capable of, you know what I mean? Like <laughs> it's, yeah, uh, it's interesting. Like there's nothing mustache twirly about him. The eye patch really is like not communicating what I feel like so many other movies and stereotypically older movies would be communicating about a character. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He is it's... as grounded as anybody else in this movie. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's funny. Cause like uh, Ogata and uh, Serizawa fit the like, the like, you know, the sort of like Betty and Veronica kind of thing where it's like, Ogana <laughs> is like just the handsome, like cool, like nice guy. And like Serizawa was like the dark brooding one with the dark secret. who's like kind of edgy. Um, but like neither of them are like, I don't know. I like that. They're not like rivals. First of all, like they're no. genuinely friends and like neither of those like arch- They're not like heart going hard on those archetypes in any direction. Like they're just yeah. kind of like trying to do their best in like this you know what? wild situation. <laughs> That's what the eye patch is because, because yes, Ogaro is like, the the sort of like handsome young sort of like ambitious uh like romantic but like Sarazawa is also just like a handsome young very like true. like they truly needed something to be like these guys are are 
different, right? Like, like one of like to communicate the darkness, they couldn't just like put him in his science lab. They like needed something to be like, oh, maybe there's something that we can like cut the handsome with a little. We got to cover some of the handsomeness up. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. he's still just a really handsome guy. He's a very handsome like, guy. I mean, look. So they're they not putting be- anybody in this movie in like a lead role that isn't like stunning. Everybody <laughs> is so fucking hot in this movie. It's unreal. So um, the only way they could communicate it is to put an eye patch on him, I guess. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, it works. It works for me. And like, that's to say nothing of like his acting. Like he is very good at, at oh, being yeah. the brooding character. But yeah, I think you, if you want to, yeah, I agree. Like they, if like, you took the eye patch off, he'd just be bit. another hot guy in this movie. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Right, and I'm not speaking on the acting. They they, they yeah. act their characters very differently. These characters are very different characters. Yeah. Um, it's just funny to me, like, you know. Yeah, it's They're bo- They both seem like good, handsome, you know, dudes. Yeah. One, <laughs> one just has she's a, lucky. Know, a dark secret. She one has a lucky. very dark secret that he's trying so hard to be responsible about. <laughs> and everybody, yeah, and everyone's just sort of like, no, we need right. we need death in our world right now. And you yeah. have to be responsible for it. <laughs> like he's truly trying to be the best version of a person you could possibly want. Yes, you know? yes. The other character we have is Dr. Yamane, who, so Takashi Shimura, I already fucking love that guy from Seven mm. Samurai. He's so good in that movie. Um, and I love him in this one, too. He's, like, my favorite actor in the movie. And I love his character, too, because he's just, like, he just wants to what's best for Godzilla, and he just wants to learn I from know. him. He, he wants to stop he's all the killing. He's great. It's so sad. And it's, like... I love him. It's tough. This, this is what I... Like... Like, I don't know how you could watch this movie, and maybe this isn't the movie that people are making the statement about, but, like, I don't know how you could watch this movie with, mm-hmm. with these human characters, even just the four we've mentioned, and say that the char- like the human stuff is boring. I mean, they are, they are really complicated yeah. characters, and we only get to know them for, like, a tiny amount of time, you know? Um, because, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, Professor Yamane, like, he just wants to to save Godzilla and just wants to study Godzilla. But like the circumstances have already gotten so far that like, even he has to know that like shit's already kind of hit the fan. Like, I don't know that anybody's going to take me seriously or this idea seriously, or even like, I don't even like, I want to study Godzilla, but like, can we even walk back what's already happened to get to the point where I could do that? You know, like that's a rough thing to wrestle with to know that like, this would be the right thing to do, but I don't know if we can even do that anymore, you know? Yeah. I I love his presence in this movie because, you know, they obviously needed a scientist character to explain the science and the lore of the movie. Fulfills that role great. He's a very charismatic guy. So, like, he's able to give that exposition great amazingly and it's super good so i'm so glad that they give him other stuff to do as well he isn't just mr science and mr exposition he's also there to essentially like endear the audience to godzilla as a creature you know and like because i think you know probably a problem with i'm sure with many other monster movies is sort of like you don't have that character in the cast who's just sort of being like but FYI, this is just like a fucking animal, though, right? Like, we can't treat this like it's a villain. Like, this movie does have that. Like, Dr. Yamani is sort of like, Godzilla is a tragic mm-hmm. character, and it would be really awful if we just murdered yeah. him. Like, it is. It, it sucks what's happening right now, but we can't just fucking kill the guy, you know? And you know what one thing I love about this movie? 
just because it's a living creature. It would be wrong for us to kill this thing based on its circumstances and because it's a living creature. There's no, there's no like shocking revelation. It's not like we can't kill it because it's pregnant. We can't kill it because it's female. (laughs) We can't kill it because it's the last one. Like, just like we can't kill it because we shouldn't do that. Like, we shouldn't do that, you guys. That's the wrong yeah. thing to do. I love that. I, I think I too. so much of this movie is presented in, it's weird to say, but like that subtlety across the board, you know, I think serves this movie in such a good way. And that's another one of those examples where like, they're not overdoing that. Like, he just believes it's the wrong thing to do. Yeah. Because well, it's a living thing. I and think because it didn't do anything wrong. I think <laughs> that a lot of that really comes from Honda's background and is sort of like pacifism. Like not that, you know, there's a lot of obviously no, that makes a, a lot of, of sense, a lot of creative forces involved in the movie, but I do think that like that stuff probably only gets hammered in because of Honda specifically. And and yeah, I think really wanting to like approach a monster movie with with the uh, intention that the monster is ultimately an innocent animal in this you know in this scenario right it's purely just compassion there's no like justification needed for why you would be compassionate it's just correct to be compassionate yeah yeah i I I love love that that about this movie i love that that about that character (laughs) yeah i love it i i yeah i i fully agree i love it so much also like this is so subtle but i love that like they don't even really comment on it but the the kid in the beginning that's part of the you know that's part of the village of you know of yeah. fisherman um, Shinkichi Yamani just like kind of just like adopts the kid because he's like living with them mm-hmm. and like they don't make a thing out of it like it's yeah. just sort of like it's just he's just a compassionate guy and now he's just got yeah. this orphan living with them like it's I I just love I love that detail like right. it's just like they're just like, like why good wouldn't people. I take care of him yeah yeah I love that what a good guy what a good dude yeah <laughs> we all need a professor Yamani in our lives oh he's great he's great yeah I'm glad you brought up the village because I don't know how much necessarily you plan to talk about it but as long as we're talking about like yes. Yamani and like the science of it all the village was interesting to me and a thing that I didn't necessarily remember I found it really interesting that there is a also an older male figure in the village who was like, oh, that must be Godzilla. Like that's, that must be who that is. And then tells you sort of like the legend folky version yeah. of Godzilla. That was a thing I completely forgot. Um, and I found it really fascinating because it, it had none of the science and it was actually surprisingly Kong-esque in, in mm-hmm. sort of the like, it does its own thing, but under these circumstances, it could be antagonistic towards us. And so there have been times where we have done questionable things to sort of maintain our relationship and distance from Godzilla. You yeah. know, like they don't talk about it a lot. It's not really a big part of the movie. It's mostly sort of the, it mostly serves to to introduce Godzilla as this mysterious presence we haven't seen yeah. yet. And name him, right? basically. Yeah. And name him, yeah. But I just totally forgot that was a piece, that there was any part of this world that had a folklore about Godzilla. Yeah. And I just thought that was neat. And that it was a a a long standing folklore. It wasn't even necessarily a recent history thing. Mm-hmm. It's like a story and an experience that's been passed down for a long time, implying that like there's probably there's been more than one, you know, yeah. like this is a, this is a relationship that's been ongoing in the way that we as humans have had several generations. Our relationship with the monster Godzilla has lasted several generations of the monster Godzilla. I don't know that it just, it really kind of 
caught me off guard yeah. in a cool way. Well, and it, and it's like it honestly, I think it works for the lore too. Like because if the idea is that Godzilla is this is a prehistoric creature, like basically a dinosaur that's just yeah. lived underwater for you know what I guess millions of years, that sort of you know have more heavily implies that like Godzilla or other Godzillas have had some you know some a minimal interaction with people like enough that like this village knows that it that he exists at some right. point through the generations but also like adds power to how different the world is after the invention of atomic weapons because it's like oh he's existed yes. for millions of years and has even been around people a little bit and it really was the atomic bomb that actually drove him to actually come come to shore no question there is no question about why like who fucked up and how you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. And I do think that's important. That's a good point. That 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 probably clarifies like why that felt so significant to yeah. me. That sort of distinction between the sort of old folky version of the Godzilla story versus the current present day like reality of Godzilla. Yeah. 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 I'm glad I'm glad you brought that up too though cuz I do think that's a kind of thing that I I kind of I I I kind of forget about that aspect of the movie too, but there's a lot of good stuff in there. I mean, like I, I, I love that. Like that's kind of the horror movie side of it that like Godzilla's early appearances are not in a city. It is like in a small village where it's like harder to mm-hmm. prove his existence for a little while. Not for that long. I mean, it is pretty quick. And I, one thing I do, I love about this movie so much is that it's like, Again, I watched Beast from 20,000 Fathoms and so fucking much of that movie is just sort of like trying to convince people that the Beast exists. And it's sort of like, it's going to show up in the end anyway. Why are we setting the whole movie with this? So many movies do that. This movie, it really is just sort of like, he makes kind of one appearance and it's sort of like, we got enough evidence. Hey, y'all, there's a dinosaur. He's real. And everyone's just like, damn, that sucks. Okay, well, I guess we believe you. Like, and then they just like move on from that, you know? (laughs) It's less about, no, it's so smart because it's, and I think, I think, Focusing on the Odo Island and the village and sort of it being at a distance from sort of like the most modern version of of Japan, you know, at the start of the movie is so much smarter than just being like, does it exist? Can we convince people it exists? Because, yes, we know it exists. It's more a question of like, will it arrive here and when? And what will that look like? You know what I mean? And I do think it creates a believable distance between the monster appearing and shit hitting the fan. Yeah. Because if you think about a horror movie, if something's happening in a small town, like it's not necessarily taken seriously by the big city an yeah. hour away, you know, mm-hmm. until it actually arrives. And so like once you can, can once the big city's like, oh yeah, that exists, are they coming here next? Like now you have that sort of like doom and suspense. Yeah. But even then, you know what? They still do smart stuff with it though, because it's like, okay, well, there's actually there's two things that I want to say about this because yeah, like the the government officials, the military, whoever whoever's on that panel that Numani presents to, yeah. like they believe him pretty quickly. They're like, okay, you've given sure. us the evidence, you've given us this the fucking giant trilobite, which is also really fucking cool. Um, That's so funny. Yeah, <laughs> I thought I love that. Um, you've given us all this evidence, right? So like we believe you. We're gonna not put this in the media. Um, and then you have like this like a bunch of it's like a bunch of women that are sort of like. What the fuck, dude? We've got to warn people about this. Like, yeah. I don't really even know who they were. Suppo- I think they're supposed to be wives and family members okay. of uh, the fishermen. fishermen. Got it. Got it. Which makes sense. Yeah. But I and I love but I love that it's like all of like that's just I don't know. That felt like maybe unintentional that there felt like a, a progressive kind of edge to that. Where like all these fucking men were just sort of like, we know what's best for everyone. And then like all the women no, were sort of like, like what the fuck is wrong too. with you? 
that feels like a horror movie thing too. It feels like the police that aren't telling the village what's going on and people being like, people are dying. What's happening? Yeah. Like that's the thing that happens in horror movies too. Yeah. Yeah. So like, I love that. And then they do get convinced to like put it out into the media. But what I really love is like, the reaction to people learning about the existence of a giant fucking radioactive dinosaur is like, uh-huh. there's that scene of like the lady on the train and she's reading the paper and she's just like, I barely got out of Nagasaki and I have to deal with this shit. Oh yes. And, and, but there, and, oh my God. which is like, and like the way that it's like almost like a throwaway, like a throwaway kind of thing. It's like, but that just happened. Now this is happening. I don't have time to evacuate. I've got to live my life. Like, I know this is not a fair comparison. We brought it before. It reminds me of like things people have said over the past few years, which is sort of like so many fucking historical events and tragedies have happened one right after another that it doesn't even impact me anymore. I'm just like, I'm just exhausted by another historical event happening. So like, what's another fucking tragedy, man? And it's like giving that like her, her response on the train. It's just like, well, here we go again. I guess I guess I I'm, I really don't feel like evacuating. It's like the, nobody is really yeah. really taking it seriously because because yeah. they've already seen so much horror that it's sort of like what's another terrible thing to happen to us? Like yeah, I already <laughs> upended my life, and it is wild for anything to be treated that casually because like when you consider what she's referencing by referencing Nagasaki, yeah. like it's wild. But you're right; it's so real, and it's totally a thing people do. Um, I mean, people don't evacuate things all the time. Yeah. Like, it's so, both in fiction and in reality, where it's like, I just, I can't right now. Like, I can't do that. And it's like, part of you is like, why are you not getting up? But part of you is sort of like, I get it. Yeah, like, it's hard. I sort yeah. of understand. It's like, hard. I don't know what I would do. I mean, I like, I might, I don't know. I would like, I would like to think that I'm smart enough to like evacuate. But I also feel like I'd just be like, yeah, but I'm sure it'll be fine. Like, that's a lot of work. I'm sorry, Derek, if Godzilla's attacking your city, you're not going away from Godzilla. You're going toward I Godzilla. I was thinking a similar scenario, <laughs> not Godzilla exactly. You know, but yes, you're right. I would just be like, well, I, this is, I have, this, this is yeah. exactly how I want to die specifically. Yeah. So, you know. <laughs> Yeah, but no, you're right. I mean, even on a small scale, again, these aren't like exact comparisons, but even just on a small scale, I'm trying to think like, because you're saying like, what would I do? Like, the last time I ever did anything about like a tornado warning in oh, my area, yeah. I can't remember the last time I was like, oh, they're telling me I should take this seriously. I guess I'll keep playing my video game because I'm in the middle of something. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know that's such a small example, but like. Yeah. If you've experienced tragedy after tragedy or something so huge that you had to completely reinvent your life, not just uh-huh. like start your file over, you know, like I get where she's kind of coming from. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a while. Just like the, 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 just like the, the scale or the, the, the breadth of like different kinds of reactions to the scenario yeah. we see in this movie is so wild like it's so smartly done yeah so some other stuff uh i want to talk about the oxygen destroyer but that's a lot of like end end movie stuff the actual like destruction that we see of godzilla and like some of the horrific stuff and the consequences of that there's like really some of it like some of the most haunting stuff from this movie right is like obviously like from godzilla's rampage and then seeing the aftermath of it and like yeah there are some moments that just I will never not stick with me. Um, 
the mom like telling her children like we're going to join daddy now like as she's like hugging Ugh. her like three children like Ugh. i remember when i first watched this movie and like i feel i kind of burst into tears when that when i saw that and every time i get it's to it horrible. it hits me in the gut it's yeah yeah and it's like it's just so it's so matter of fact there it's just like Mm-hmm. I mean, and there's like you you immediately just get like so much history of this person's life just unloaded on you in that moment. You know, it's just. Yeah. Uh, uh, it's so poignant. It's interesting. Like there are certain things I'm just like looking through things I wrote down, which had to have been significant enough for me to be like, whoa. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, it's just interesting quotes. Like some of them are just interesting quotes I'm seeing, like sort of from like in the realm of destruction, but like the way that people are communicating about it to each other or reporting details of it, that Mm -hmm. sort of like builds and builds and builds the mythology. For some reason, it really resonated me. It was one of the courtroom scenes where just, they say they were crushed from above. Like they're referencing Mm -hmm. like boats and, and helicopters and stuff. Just the idea that like, no, you guys don't understand. Like, they were crushed from above. Something had to be higher than them yeah. to like destroy the helicopters. That was one thing that I was like, oh, that's such a good, such a good line in detail yeah. to really like sell the severity of what's going on. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was so much and stuff. Then Yuma- it's so much stuff that like, I feel like we take for granted now with giant monster movies, but like yes. that one line, like that is kind of shocking if you've never heard it before, right. that there is something You're big like, enough. What do you mean? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like what did something like did a mountain fall on it? Like, what are you talking about? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Cause it's unfathomable that something could destroy a helicopter from above, right. you know? Yeah. And then, you know, I, I guess maybe this is getting too too close to the destruction, like the destruction of Godzilla versus sure. Godzilla's destruction yeah. of the city. Yeah. Um, but uh, Yamane saying uh, Godzilla was baptized in the fire of the H-bomb and survived to uh, just be like, what the fuck do you think you're going to do about it? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I understand you want to stop what's going on here, but, like, what do you think you can do to this thing? No, that is that is such a good, scary line. Like, yeah, again, it is just, like, so much of this movie, I feel like you really do have to put yourself in the context of, like, when it was happening and try to, like, forget all the kaiju sh- stuff that comes afterwards because yeah. some of the stuff it is, like, Again, it's just sort of like, well, like, well, yeah, of course, Godzilla. There's a million Godzilla movies, so like, you're not going to be able to stop them. Like, it's yeah. it's powerful, but it's sort of like that is a really scary thing to hear. That it's not only is this giant fucking monster demolishing everything. It's like the 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 most des- the most destructive weapon in the history of the world is what created him. Just woke it <laughs> it's up. What woke him up? Yeah, no, you're right. Didn't even just create it. Was him, it's it was its alarm in up. the morning. Yeah, like that <laughs> that is terrifying. That is absolutely and, yeah. and in a movie that is based in reality to the extent that it's it's not like you don't really expect they're going to come up with a magical sci-fi weapon. You you this isn't a kind of movie that sets itself up to be something where they're going to come right. up with a death ray that will shoot Godzilla and that's how they destroy him. Like so hearing yeah. that that there's nothing else you can do, that is tr- a truly scary thing to say because then it's like, well what the hell are they going to do? Like how does this movie going yeah. Where's this movie going to go? How's it going to end, you know? Well, and I think those things, like the two things that I I wrote down and, and and you talking about the the woman and her children like I think it's worth mentioning obviously 
like we watched this in Japanese, but we had English subtitles, like even as poetic as the like Godzilla was baptized in fire. Like that's not the point. The point of each one of the things we 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 mentioned, like translate no matter what. Right. Like what that woman was saying, it doesn't matter like how flowery you translate it. The point of what she's saying drives it home. The point that something was big enough to destroy something from above doesn't matter how you say that. Like the point is still terrifying, you know? The yeah. point that this thing was simply woken up by by a bomb, like a, a, a an atomic bomb as opposed to like being, you know, killed by it. Like yeah. the point is still there. So it, it I yeah. I can't imagine that in like any language is translated however poetically or crudely it is translated like the point always hits you know oh that's such a good point i love yeah i love that you pointed that out the only other one that i have from godzilla's destruction that is a scene that i also love because it's so fucking wild the reporter on the tower i think it's tokyo tower that he's on that is reporting as godzilla attacks and destroys the tower the truly best reporter in the history of the world that dude is doing his job Mm-hmm. literally reporting on his own death actively and like yeah. gets to sign off, like give his goodbye so live, live on the air just before he like fucking falls off of a tower. Incredible yeah. shit. Like yeah. incredible. I've like, I don't, I've never seen something like that in a movie before. Like it's, it was a really, yeah, no, it was really incredible. Like it just keeps going. Just keeps going. Yeah. Just like, all right, it's happening. It's happening. Everybody. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's yeah. just wild. Yeah, wild shit, man. Yeah, that was really cool. Um, yeah, I already talked about the fire. I asked that so so much earlier than I thought I was going to. But as far as like Godzilla's rampage go, rampage goes. The image, my favorite sort of image of it, like him in the city, is the one where he like peeks over a building and you can see people in the building. Yes! Like one, it's just a really, like the composition of the shot is like unique all on its own. Mm -hmm. Like it would still be a really striking shot if you made it now with any number of different sort of non-practical effects. Mm -hmm. Um, Or even if it was a still image, it would be really striking. Mm -hmm. But just knowing they had to pull that off and it still manages to be as striking as it is. Like it's just, it's just terrifying. And this yeah. is all wow. Like the city's being destroyed, and it's this really striking image uh, that you could frame and put on a wall. You know? Yeah, yeah. And then you just see these little people moving, Ugh. like the scale of it. I anything that makes people feel like hamsters in a cage, <laughs> like at that scale, I find so cool. Yeah. And that that scene makes it makes humans feel like ants you know it makes them feel like such tiny insignificant creatures just sort of like scattering about you know in their terror which is like weird because i'm (laughs) one of them you know yes absolutely so much in one shot oh my god yeah yeah uh honda's a good director of films imagine that (laughs) (laughs) oh my god so this fucking oxygen destroyer, it is like the one yes. like, kind of sci-fi element we have in here, I guess. But it's like, I, I th- it's so yeah. well executed. So like, I mean, I, I remember I asked you last week, like, how does Godzilla get defeated in this movie? And you did not remember at all. So you, I, I was I, trying to remember if you even asked me that. So yeah. if anybody thought I would remember how it actually happened, <laughs> <laughs> I was watching this movie and being like, did Derek ask me about how this ends? Cause I don't remember. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. How it ends or if he asked me. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's so like, yeah, I mean, that's, that's 
ultimately the way that they defeat Godzilla is by creating another weapon of mass destruction, which is the whole conflict of basically like the whole, the whole, the whole last act of the movie is just like a weapon of mass destruction, like caused this guy's rampage in the first place. Now they're caught between this idea that like another weapon of mass destruction now exists, but that's the only way that could stop him. But to do so, you are creating and unleashing another weapon of mass destruction, which was the whole thing that started this in the first place. So like, is, is just this cycle of destruction, just cyclical, like forever, you know, it's not even, I mean, it's that yes. Right. Like this sort of like the monster that was awoken literally by the atomic weapons is Godzilla. But the monster that is awoken by that is the, the constant cycle of, of weapons of mass destruction. Yes. But what I specifically yeah. love about what this movie does and what Sarazawa says is like, if anybody knows this exists, the world is fucked, right? Like, basically, sure. if the Americans find out that this exists, you know, like, they can't be trusted. Like, it's just interesting to me that, like, it's not just yeah. that he doesn't want to be responsible for creating another weapon. It's that he doesn't want to be responsible for introducing a weapon to the entire world, right? Because... There's no way for him to introduce that without the entire world knowing, which is actually kind of interesting because, like, I know it's not the point, but there were a couple times, and it's easy to answer, but there were a couple times where I was like, this monster has, like, destroyed 20 ships and is attacking the country and, like, nobody else seems to, like, notice or care. But you can easily answer that question as to why nobody else is, like, intervening. But the global ramifications I find really interesting when Sarazawa is talking about, like, it's not just that, like, this is a, 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 a... weapon that will destroy the entirety of life in Tokyo Bay. It's that like, mm-hmm. I can't put back in the tube, the toothpaste that will be let out. If anybody knows that this exists. Yeah. But also, but like, and that's, that's exactly what happened with nuclear weapons, yes. right? Like as soon as the atomic bomb was that, in, that was invented. I mean, you know, we, there was literally just a movie that came out about that. That was very popular. <laughs> like the idea that it's like, as soon as the genie was out of the bottle that like this, a, a, a weapon, um, that has such a maximum caliber of destruction exists that like if if a true nuclear war happened where pe- everyone was shooting nuclear missiles at each other, it would just be the literal end of humanity. Yeah. No coming back from that 100 percent like that. It is like obviously like the two of us have only ever lived in a world post the creation of that. Right. But like the idea that there was a point in time before something like that was created and then it was created and people in the immediate like immediately after had to reckon with the idea that like, oh, this exists now. There's always going to be a threat of death by atomic bomb. Right. The reckoning is so specific. Right. Because the entirety of human history existed with that not even being a possibility for for all of history before and then all of history after. I mean, we take honestly take for granted the fact yeah. and it is a fact of life that at any given moment the entire world could be destroyed by nuclear nuclear weapons. Yeah. But there was a it's period all just of time of fucking, where yeah. like people could be in disbelief about that fact and be convinced yeah. about that fact. Like that that window there of were, time is so absolutely tiny in 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 the sort of big mm-hmm. picture of human history. But like there was a point in time when there was literally no way humans could destroy the world. Right. Like instantly if they wanted right. to. Right. And suddenly 
it is possible for humans to just destroy the planet, like by pushing a button, Ugh. like by like it's it's Ugh. and it's it's truly yeah. horrifying. Like it's the kind of thing that you just can't really think about, or else you will go insane. Yes. Like you can't. Like that's the only reason it's why I everybody our age just doesn't think about it. Yeah, because you can't. I mean, like, <laughs> like you, you truly can't. I mean, like it was fucking. Yeah. People were going insane about it in like the Cold War, yes. right? So like, yes. we we just have to accept and for that. For a like, while after. Yeah, right. Yeah. So like you just kind of just have to accept that that's a possibility and hope it never happens because nothing we can fucking do about it. Right. And this is a unique weapon too, right? And I think it's significant that like he doesn't just create another atomic bomb. He doesn't just create True. the next yeah. version of it, right? Yeah. Like specifically the weapon that he creates is one that destroys life in water, which is actually like I think it's kind of the perfect weapon for this movie taking place in Japan to be the weapon that is created. I mean, that is so, I mean, if you think about like the destruction that is caused collaterally by destroying Godzilla in this movie, I mean, they, they, the entirety of all like fishing just fucked off for how long? You know what I mean? It's like, they can't fish the entirety of Tokyo Bay for how long? Yeah. And imagine that being used like intentionally as a weapon to like screw over any coastal, Country, any country with a coast at all, you know? Yeah. And and I think I like how they visualize that the way that it works too. I mean, you know, I mean, the first step is just, you know, some bubbles, the bubbles and water. It looks like it's like boiling or whatever, which, you know, is a cool, simple effect. Yeah. But nobody I mean, think about the logistics. Like, yeah. It's like, I don't know. It destroys all the oxygen in the water. And then somehow that it turns oxygen into fluid, which somehow means that you turn into bones. Sure. Um, but, yeah. but, but I think the effect of, seeing something yeah. just disintegrate into bones is very effective. Like, honestly, yeah. like I think it's even more, it's even, maybe this isn't true, but like for me, it almost hits me harder. Like I have seen visualizations of atomic bombs going off, like in like, you know, Terminator two, right? Like you see people disintegrate into ash, which is a horrifying thing to see. And that is a horrifying concept. I think the way that the oxygen destroyer still just like turns you into a skeleton and that was left behind. I think that there's something that sticks in for me. It sticks in my head even harder, like in a scarier way. Cause it's like, you see like, I don't know. It's like you you are visualizing the rot and decay that instantly happens to you if you're the subject of this weapon and what is and you see what is specifically left behind, which is your skeletal remains. And mm-hmm. I don't know, something about that kind of hits me a lot. So I, I, I feel like it was just a, it was smart to have that to have that visual indicator rather than just having it having them just sure. vanish or something. Or melt away. Yeah, I don't know if I don't know if I can co-sign that it's more horrifying than visualizations it's, of like an atomic bomb. I guess bomb, they're like, but they're, I they're do think horrifying it's horrifying in, in it's, like on a similar. They're horrifying in different ways, but in a similar level, I guess maybe not. I well, know. and I, I I'm not challenging you specifically to say you should you should not think. I mean, I think it is just what what horrifies you. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. But and 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 being disintegrated in an instant to me is like just unfathomably horrifying sure um yeah, yeah but like uh but i do think the imagery in this movie is really effective even just in the tank yes. like even just in his lab and what's wild is like that again like is all practically done so like the fact that it is this sort of murky tank the fact that it's all practical the fact that there's no sort of like you know, here's the curtain and suddenly it's different. Like you just are sort of like looking at it, squinting and being like, what's happening in there because of those bubbles, because of the murkiness. And you just sort of, before you realize it, like 
you see fish, and then suddenly you see skeletons. Yeah. And it's sort of like, whoa, what just happened? Like, I know, I know you explain it, but like, I don't, literally, I don't know how you did what you just did. Yeah. It's probably literally just a cool transition, I, yeah, I but like just, in the moment, yeah. you're just like, "What the fuck happened in there?" I don't know, it, you know. And this, this is a that's really effective. To it me. is really effective, and this is a minor thing, but I really like in a modern movie. I feel like killing a bunch of fish wouldn't be enough. I feel like the filmmakers would just be like, "The audience doesn't give a shit about fish. We've got to like amp, amp this up." But I love that like Emiko has. I think what is a realistic reaction to seeing a tank of fish turn and melt into skeletons like she is horrified and truly shaken by this, like truly horrified by this. And I and I just I think I feel like and maybe I'm being unfair to like modern movies or whatever, but I feel like a lot of movies now would want to like up those stakes like to be more visceral about it like wouldn't feel like a fish tank would be enough, even though I do think it is very realistic that that would be a truly horrifying thing to see. I don't think I don't think you're being unfair to modern filmmaking. I think this is I think this is an ongoing discussion about like um you know sometimes being limited in being yeah. able to like depict something is actually beneficial because you can't you can't oversell something and you can't flex on them. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like being a, be, only being able to do sort of like minimal haunting effects often ends up being really effective yeah. because it ends up feeling so much more grounded. Um, it's not that CGI always looks bad. It's that you want to do too much with it yeah. because it's so accessible. You know, yeah. you could you could effectively use CGI to pull things off, but I think the compulsion to do more because it's readily available yeah. to you is a problem. Yeah. You know? I feel like I, not showing Michael Myers is, is, is and not being able to do a lot of the kills that they will eventually pull off in future movies makes him scarier. Yeah. Well, I feel like, you know, I, and I, and I think like the fish aspect of it too, like, I feel like, modern movies would be like we're gonna do a dog because that's really gonna hit you in the gut and you're gonna be really horrified if it's a dog and we're gonna like cgi all the flesh being ripped from it as this is the oxygen destroyer and that, comes on or something like that that this the the it's not even that like the cgi would look bad because it probably would it, it's 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 already a problem the decision to like yeah. include all of that yeah. you've already done too much yeah you know what I and mean? like i think honda was a compassionate enough person that it's just sort of like no, we wouldn't want to do this to a fish either. Like it would be really fucked up right. to just kill a fish like this for no reason. Like that's 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 yeah. cruel. And Emiko is the daughter of a scientist yeah. and she's betrothed to a scientist. Yeah. Like she understands the implications. Right. So like getting the reaction through her and having it be one of horror, one makes sense and two sells what in many other movies um that don't have the restraint might not necessarily hit quite as hard. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Plus, by the time you realize, like, I-, I can't get over the fact that they unleash this in the Tokyo Bay. It's like, I cannot truly... get over that fact. Like, that to me is is why the f- the fish tank is the correct choice. Yeah. Not just because, like, people do or don't care about fish, but because it so directly relates to exactly what they do to their own ecosystem. They're one of their own industries mm-hmm. and economies, you know, like it's just, I, I can't get over it. It's so, it's, it's so horrifying yeah. what they have to do to themselves to, to get rid of Godzilla. Yeah. And the entire sequence when they actually do get rid of Godzilla, it's so fucking 
good and so sad for so many different reasons. Like truly yeah. not a happy ending of this movie, like in, in any direction. Cause like, I mean, there's, let's see, there's a few angles to it. Uh, the, the, so one thing that really strikes me about it is that they, the, when they kill Godzilla, it's not in battle or whatever. It's not in like a, you know, in defense of an attack. They just like Ugh. go underwater where he's just fucking chilling. Like, and I, I, I obviously I understand that they are taking they're taking action to prevent future action from Godzilla, but there is a possibility that Godzilla walked through Tokyo was like I don't fucking like this I'm in a lot of pain and was done and was done and was heading underwater and was probably gonna find another fucking cave and would never be seen from seen ever again I know and they just go down and I, fucking murder him like it I couldn't shake. The, the idea that, like, Godzilla just watched these two dudes walk up. Yeah, And yes. could have just been, like, I, I, I it was hard for me. And, and again, this was, this was me watching it not necessarily, like, having the sort of, like, deep emotional connection to Godzilla yet, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I do feel like the movie keeps him at a distance. So, like, I wasn't watching it with, with Godzilla sort of at front of mind. I very much was watching it with humans at front of mind. Right. But I could not shake the idea that, like, Godzilla watched them walk up the same way that my cat watches me walk in from the other room. Yeah, And it's sort of like, you wouldn't just walk in and smack your cat. Like that would be such a betrayal. Yeah, And like, I know that they have this complicated history of Godzilla walking through and destroying. But like even, okay. But, but if you consider you're like, right in that moment, right? Like if you consider Godzilla an animal and you should, and you consider the rampage a reaction, which you should, right? Like, it's it's just acting in the way that an animal reacting would. So then by the time it's calmed down, it is just watching you walk up. Yeah. It doesn't know these two humans from, you know, like as far like it didn't see humans doing things to it. It saw tanks and and helicopters. Like those are just two animals in the bay. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you consider if you if you had a house close to the woods and a bear just stumbled up to your house and some and and like, you know, broke a bunch of your shit. And then someone who happened to be there was like getting too aggressive with it. And they mauled that person. And they died. But then the bear just fucked back off in the woods. If you then went out with the gun like days later, found that bear and just shot it in cold blood while it was sleeping, while it was sleeping. Like, that's a pretty fucked up thing to do. I do think that that is how things go sometimes in the world. That's absolutely um, how things go. And, but I, I think that it is pretty fucking. I mean, and I understand, you know, I understand when it's like an animal with rabies or something, but I do think it's wrong that it's just like, if an animal, it doesn't yeah, change I, yeah, the fact it, that that animal doesn't understand right. what's going on. And you just like, you know what I mean? Even blood, if that basically. animal has rabies, even if that, yeah. that animal killed a bunch of humans, like it doesn't change the fact that that animal does not understand. And very likely, especially if it's sleeping, just wakes up and is like, I see an animal. Like I see another thing or another person. Like, yeah, I, I think the point still stands. The fact that like, and, and I think the choice is really clear yes. that like it is not in battle. You would expect it to be in battle. You would expect it to be climactic, you yeah. know? Um, yeah. And it's just, it's, it's not, yeah. it's really sad and peaceful. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and that's all from the Godzilla side. That's not even considering the like tragedy of the human side of things, <laughs> yeah. which is also tragic. My boy, Sarazawa, you know, mm-hmm. like, and, and I knew that was going to happen. I mean, the moment Sarazawa talks about like, I, I can't, I, 
I even if I destroy this stuff, like I will still exist. I still know how I made it. They will come after me. Yeah. You know what I mean? The fact that he even says like humans are weak, they will coerce it out of me. Yeah. I was like, oh, this dude is not living past this movie. There's just simply yeah. no way well, it, this guy stays alive. Consider the real world context that Honda was a prisoner of war. <laughs> like yeah. I mean, I think I can't I, I have to yes. imagine that that was in his head when you know, co-writing the screenplay for this, for this character. So yeah. And it's, it's really, yeah. So like, yeah, it's, it's very like, it's, it's very telegraphed and it's like very obvious it's going to happen, but it doesn't make it any less impactful when it does. Because again, the music fucking rules, uh, and is really, uh, powerful throughout that whole sequence. And like, I think that you have really good acting on the side of, like, Okada and Emiko and, like, and their reactions to all of this happening. Like, it's a really smart decision that Serizawa is, like, talking to them through his radio yeah. from there. Like, they never really, they never got a chance to resolve the love triangle, but, like, he knew... Like it's like he makes it clear mm-hmm. that he fucking knew this was going on, but had too much yeah. other shit going on. And like, it's sort of like, I wish you two the best to which Emiko fucking bursts into tears. And I'm like, this relationship is never going to work. This is death is always going to be hanging over their heads. They could, they will never oh. be able to make it together because they will always feel guilty about their best friend <laughs> fucking killing themselves. And his last dying words being uh. to wish the, wish the two, wish the two people who was cheating on no. him. Uh, well, so doesn't end well for literally nah, man. anybody. No, they're staying together forever. I don't know if it's 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 the right reason to, but they will literally never separate from each other. They will be haunted for the rest of their lives if they do anything but stay together. <laughs> <laughs> Not the right circumstances to stay together, but they're doing it. Uh, my God. <laughs> I just can't get over the fact that, like, I... I what hopeful people those two are that they thought he was ever going to come back up from the water he told them directly that he cannot survive this but yeah um yeah i just uh when they pull up that cord i was like oh you should have known you should have known we all knew yeah uh and then when you it's like the one-two punch of like him cutting the cord and staying down to die and then yeah i think it's kind of unexpected like i think you expect it's like okay godzilla's gonna drown but you get godzilla's head coming up out of the water one more time to fucking oh my god roar like the most like sad pained roar right before he sinks back it's down the last couple steps after you shoot the bear in the woods that didn't know what was going on yeah it, it like godzilla came up to be like what the fuck just happened yeah, and they and then die, and they have to and think of and like they have to witness it, including like they have to look it in the eyes and face what they just did, including Yamane, who didn't want this to happen. Like, yeah, how poor guy, like the nightmares he's going to have for the rest of his life, having to watch that happen. Oh, <sighs> and then like considering that the fact that like the last thing spoken in the movie, yeah. I think it's the last thing spoken yeah. in the movie is that if nuclear testing continues, another Godzilla may appear. Here's the thing. I couldn't remember how they defeated Godzilla, so I couldn't remember if they just staved off the attack. Mm-hmm. So there was a part of me that was kind of like, I don't think the oxygen thing's going to work because surely they're not actually going to kill Godzilla yeah, I mean, in this movie. There's literally going to be a sequel one year later, so like he can't die, Well, right? that's the thing is like, <laughs> well, that's the th- Well, kind of. I mean, kind like I knew that there were plenty more but it wasn't like I didn't know the circumstances. I had no idea. Like if they kill this thing, 
like how that could happen. And there was a part of me watching the movie that was like, I mean, I don't think they necessarily made this movie thinking like, oh, no, we've got a franchise on our all. hands. Uh, this you was know meant what I mean? to be a one and like, done movie for sure. Yeah. Right, exactly. But how perfect that the movie ends the way that it does uh-huh. <laughs> and ends with, with him saying that. I mean, he's not saying it to set up a franchise. He's saying it to drive point the home, like drive home the point that like Godzilla represented the horrible future that is us continuing to experiment with weapons of mass destruction. Um, but also it just happened to give them the perfect sort of, I mean, I don't know. I'm assuming, I'm assuming uh, I can figure out maybe some cases where there's like how a sequel happens, yeah. Uh, but I don't know the details. And apparently there are three sequels to it, like three separate ones, right? Oh, so even more than that. I guess they have a few swings Honestly, at it. Honestly, even more than that. I'm just doing the first immediate ones, but yeah, yes. There are more than three direct sequels to this. Well, because you know, I told you the Millennium, the Millennium era is a lot of anthology movies. So like many, oh, there's so like, a lot of them are just direct sequels to this movie, right? Yeah. So I see. Yeah. More like Halloween than I thought. Yeah. Uh huh. <laughs> oh my god it's such a yeah it's an amazingly powerful ending and it's just we're done man uh, i got a couple of fun bits to to wrap us up did you have any other th- thoughts that you didn't get a chance to get to about about the movie itself um just planes on wires were really making me chuckle oh, so i just loved the planes i mean yeah. the whole sequence of planes firing uh missiles that were fireworks at godzilla it's like mm-hmm. i guess that's one of the moments where like it does show like oh this was a movie made in 1954 sure. like when you reference that i was thinking more along the lines of like a lot of their composite shots and stuff which i really don't think show that much age no. that's one of the scenes where it does but i was so delighted yeah i was like oh this is like kind of like kind of cute even though i can see all the wires like i'm i'm i'm, I'm entertained by by it knowing full well what's what's going on practically and i still think it's really cool yeah that's one of those cases where like it's cool because you can see how they did it but that makes it even more fun because it's sort of like oh wow i can i am now picturing what it had to be like to build this like you know the set selection of wires that you could then have these little tiny planes moving on and have the sparks (laughs) i I think the sparks are also on (laughs) wires too just like traveling down the wires right so yeah and and maybe this is specifically you and me and people who are familiar with like the genre and the and and have seen behind the scenes photos of like monster like these types of practical mm-hmm. monsters and tokusatsu properties and stuff but i could not help but think about like the sort of behind the scenes no after like no post production like just being in the room watching this happen with like none of the sounds none of the music i just was like i was cracking myself up imagining the actor just like <laughs> stomping around and these planes flying out like just oh yeah. so funny to it's me. so i mean i love it it's so funny and like i mean in all seriousness i think that's like a thing that i think you have to give so much credit to these suit actors for because it is oh so yeah. fucking ridiculous what they're doing and to like be able yeah. to really do it seriously and be able to pull it off and create a monster under those circumstances is like, yes, really like you have to be so committed to your craft, like to not yes. just see what you're doing as a joke, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the only thing that I was like, I absolutely have to talk about the plane. Like that was, I think that was the last cool. thing I had before. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> before I just, we close this out. I got a couple of fun <laughs> things, just a couple of fun bits from now that we've seen and talked about this dark movie, the original treatment for this movie that, that Kayama had wrote, uh, had written. that was really short. Just a, it just, it was a very like, you can really see how Honda especially sort of like 
elevated what was almost like a regular, you know, very run-of-the-mill monster movie. Mm-hmm. Just a couple of fun little bits of the original title that Tanaka had pitched. Um, we complained about the beast for 20,000 Fathoms. He wanted to title the movie The Giant Monster from 20,000 Miles Under the Sea. No. I'm glad that didn't happen. Terrible. Yes, very terrible. Also <laughs> terrible in the treatment, Dr. Yamane... Uh, our you know our wonderful Dr. Romani that we love, um, he would be he was uh, characterized as wearing dark shades, a cape, living in a European style house from which he emerged only at night. Why? <laughs> Literally for what? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I would honestly buy Sarazawa being that character way more than I would buy. Like Sarazawa is just so barely off off the like right. mad scientist stereotype like they do such a good job of bringing him right up to that and then being like jk he's not a mad scientist yeah yeah <laughs> yeah um and godzilla also like you know i think we talked about I, I i forgot about this but like when we were talking about the naming of godzilla and like part of his name comes from the japanese word for gorilla like there was yeah. a point when it would be like he would be more of like basically an aquatic gorilla essentially it was mm. it would be very much more of like a king kong kind of ripoff um I, ostensibly he would also have like an interest in women, just like King Kong did, uh, which would be weird. Boo. And was you know it was more like he's coming ashore to like feed on animals and stuff like that. Like there's there was a scene yeah. they did try to film of Godzilla eating a cow, and it was just like wasn't going to work and everything. Um, <laughs> but also I'm glad it didn't work. Also, this wasn't from his treatment specifically, but there was when it was like in the potential gorilla phase, they came up with this idea of like what if we go hard on even harder on the metaphor for atomic bombs and was like mm. maybe this gorilla maybe his head kind of looks like a mushroom cloud um and i just texted you some of the concept oh. art <laughs> <gasps> oh i'm thrilled hold on oh boy oh boy oh boy couldn't be more oh god oh it is what the fuck? scary i don't think they'd be able to have pulled it off in the movie i'm I... obviously very glad they went with what they did but hmm I mean, I'm very glad they went with what they did, but I still want to see this realized. I would be curious what as it would look like, like a headpiece. Yeah, because like what's weird is you know we're seeing like the image that Derek sent me is basically in profile and like head on, um, and the head on picture, it's it's really unsettling because it's the shape of a mushroom cloud, and so like. If you didn't know that it was meant to be a face, you might not notice the face in it right yeah, away. And creepy. that to me is creepy. Um, like as corny as it always is when people are like, oh, I see the face of the devil in this <laughs> fire smoke. Um, it is actually kind of creepy to me. Like when yeah. when once is pointed out, I know it's all corny and stupid when people do it, but like, yeah, something about it. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Yeah. But yeah, I just thought those were, especially after this like deep conversation of like what the movie was, like some of the what could what could have been's um, is very interesting. And there's, I think there's going to be a lot of those types of fun things for Godzilla movies going forward, just because, hell yeah, you know. Um, and oftentimes it's some weird ass shit. So yes, yeah, yeah. So going into the next one, you've watched one Godzilla movie for this podcast. The next movie yes. we are going to do is going to be 1955's Godzilla Raids Again, which is. Okay. One year later, it's it's the direct sequel. Interesting name. Uh huh. So, given how this one ends, right? So, a few questions for you, Doug. Here's pre- your predictions yeah. for next month's movie. So, this movie okay. ends. Godzilla is bones. How is there another Godzilla movie one year later? 
that's why I was so so shocked to see Godzilla's bones. Like there was a point at which I was like, okay, maybe they kill him, but I was like, I can't believe we saw the bones. That's so definitive. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I think I think the the sort of least ridiculous answer lives in the con- like in the content of the movie we just watched, which is that Godzilla is not the only Godzilla. Um, and so, as weird as the title Godzilla Raids again is, <laughs> I'm gonna stick. I'm gonna stick with the the sort of Occam's razor explanation that is in the context of what we just watched, which is that there just is another Godzilla, and that Godzilla Raids again is just like not a an accurate name for the movie. <laughs> sure. I mean, you know what? We talked about the weird, the, 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 the naming stuff. So we'll explore all the different names for that movie next month yeah. as well. And see if yeah. any of them. I don't want to overthink it. Yeah. Cause anything I think up, isn't going to be as good as what they actually do. Unless I'm right. Sure. Sure. We'll find <laughs> out. Another question for you. Do any other Kaiju show up? And if so, who in the next movie, yeah. I'm going to say no. Cool. Only one movie later, I'm going to say that it's still just Godzilla. Cool. Because it's also only one year later. Yeah, it's just one year later. Yeah. And last but not least, plenty of human characters in this movie. Do any of these human characters show up again? And if so, who do you think is going to show up again? I would guess no, unless... Emiko and Ogata are back. Those are the two that I would bet on. Cool. Although I probably should be betting on some like <laughs> military general or something. <laughs> but that's not fun. So I'm gonna I'm gonna bet on the couple. Sure. Okay. We'll see. All right. That's all I had. Well <laughs> Yeah. Any any uh any closing general thoughts or anything about all about this? No, it's just experience? it's it's really, really good yeah. and it is uh, it's worth the watch, even if you're not planning to like get into a big old Godzilla movie marathon. Yeah, like it's just a really good movie. Yeah, it is. It is. I think no matter what, you don't. You don't, even if you have no intention of watching another another Godzilla movie in your entire life, if you don't even give a shit, I don't really know why you're listening to this podcast if that's the case. But if you don't give a shit about any Godzilla or kaiju stuff, I think as a standalone horror movie and a historical movie as well, uh, I think this yeah. is just a really fantastic movie to watch, and it's just. A good movie from the history of film, mm-hmm. period. So Agreed. Yes. Well, this is not the only podcast that we do, and it's not the only podcast on The Collective that we're in, because if you'd like to find other queer creators who talk about media, you should check out the Glitterjaw Queer Podcast Collective at Glitterjaw.com, and also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Blue Sky at Glitterjaw, and on Instagram at GlitterjawPods. But otherwise... Where can we find you and everything you're working on, Doug? Yeah, you can find me everywhere at Ikibuli, I-C-K-Y-B-O-O-L-E-Y. You can listen to me on a podcast called Victory Road where I talk about Pokemon. And you can listen to me on a Glitter Jaw show called Novel Gaming that I do with my friend Katie where we talk about all the books and video games we've been consuming lately. All right, and you can find me at Twitter at Derek B. Gale. That's where I'm most active. You can also find me probably on other platforms at uh, that same name or at Dare Bear, Mr. Dare Bear. And you can also find the podcast that Doug and I do together, which is also a Glitter Jaw show, which is Wallopy Web Snappers, where we do deep dives into every Spider-Man cartoon ever made. And you can find my other podcast, Gimmicks, where my co-host David and I look at the high-concept, experimental, structure-breaking, gimmicky episodes of television. Of course, you can find all those podcasts anywhere you get your podcasts and you can also follow my twitch at mr dare bear where i stream vhs recordings of old television airings with the original commercials 
If you would like to support Screonk, the best way to do that would probably be by joining our Patreon at patreon.com slash wallopingwebsnappers. It's obviously our Patreon for Walloping Web Snappers, but I think we will end up having some bonus Godzilla-related content there, um, yes. and that'll just support us regardless for any of our podcasting ende- endeavors that Doug and I do together. And you can check out our Walloping Web Snappers Discord that we'll link to in the show notes. I'm sure we will have some Godzilla conversations happening there um, as these episodes drop. We do have a specific email for Screonk, which is screonkpodcast at gmail.com. So feel free to email that, any of your questions or feedback or thoughts or corrections there. Of course, uh, we're a new podcast, so please rate, review, and subscribe on all your podcast platforms just to help us out. And like I said, next month on the 13th, we are moving to one year later with the direct sequel, 1955's Godzilla Raids Again. See you then. Bye. Thank you.